Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I want to be real honest with you. I don't know if I've ever appreciated being on the air more than any time in my career. I miss you guys. I miss seeing you at the ballpark. I miss, I I, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. I actually miss Cody coming over to my house. Hi, Commander. Are you, are you okay living in downtown San Jose? I'm worried about you. Yeah, we're good. Um, you know, crazy scenes here over the weekend. Like the the reports of everything that was going on on Friday. Like we, the first thing I saw was the uh, the protest that was happening on 101, which isn't far from either of us. Uh, right, it was like right over by Capital Expressway, I believe, off 101. So that's not far from us. And then they started pushing in towards downtown, and they were going down Santa Clara Street. And you know, I only live like I don't know, like a mile maybe from there. So like it was pressing down more. And then it was all peaceful. And then it, it got dark out, and you know more stuff started happening. And I saw the stuff on. I was following along on social media because you know I, I'm right down the street, and helicopters flying over. It was a it was an unreal scene all weekend. And then we saw what started happening all across the country. So just an unreal weekend. But uh, yeah, we're we're safe and everything over here right. downtown San Jose. Well, it means I can't I, I can't ride my bike over for Wine Wednesday <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah, well we're under a curfew now too. So I mean you got to be home yeah. by eight thirty. I was like, we're under a curfew. I uh, So I live in the part of San Jose called Willow Glen. It's one of the old neighborhoods of San Jose where I'm literally in a car a couple minutes for downtown. So I, too, see the helicopter every day, all day. And I just want to say to everybody out there in the Bay Area, no matter where you are, I just hope you're safe. We're here for you, one to four. 
keep you sane, entertain, talk a little baseball, have a little fun. But once again, I really appreciate the A's allowing us to continue our quest to build A's Cast and A's Cast Live and be here for you three days a week and really seven days a week with A's Cast, bringing you a guest list that is truly second to none as the commander's doing an outstanding job. Paul Hembikides, the top producer, researcher for ESPN, will join us at 1.30 as he joins us every single Monday. And, of course, you hear him on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. We will travel into the future. Daniel Kim, who you've seen on ESPN, uh, in South Korea, covering the KBO. We'll get our update on the Korean baseball organization. So it's always a trip. So it was last night. What time, Commander? It was around 7 o'clock? 7.30, so it would have been around 11.30 a.m. Monday for Daniel. So now it's Monday for us. There, it's Right now it's around, I would say, 5 a.m. Tuesday for Daniel in Korea right now. So it's one of those deals where Cody – basically tells me you can't start drinking beer. You got to wait on a Sunday and I have to wait till about seven 30. And, uh, we taped Daniel Kim, who you, of course, like I said, you've seen on ESPN covering the KBO and he's been a part of the broadcast and just kind of get an update. How we doing? How's everything going? No one has tested positive. They're, 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 they're making it happen. And that is a great thing. Also joining us, as, as I call Ken Korak the voice of summer and the voice of your Oakland athletics, and I call Ray Fossey the face of the franchise, but the face of the broadcast is the great Glenn Kuyper. Glenn Kuyper, we haven't heard from Kuyper, G. Kuyper in a while. How's he doing in Danville? How's he hanging in there? We'll talk to Glenn Kuyper coming up here at 2.30. For all you draft people, the draft is what, nine days away, eight days away? Yeah, nine days. Next Wednesday, June 10th. Next Wednesday, a virtual Major League Baseball draft. That's only going to be five rounds. It's kind of depressing, but we're still going to give you a good interview. Jim Callis from MLB.com, he'll be a part of the draft that you will watch on MLB Network. We're going to find out how are they doing it. We watched the NFL draft which was pretty entertaining. I, as a football person, did not have a problem with that draft. Now, did I want to see Las Vegas and the players? Of course. But I think, I mean, Commander, what do you think? I, I, I thought it was still entertaining, seeing all the coaches and everybody in their houses or office or whatever. Well, seeing that people are using the technology we've been using for over a year now for doing our broadcast, it was yeah. like, it was nice to see people embracing the tech, you know, the going forward with using video conferencing and Zoom and everything. And the NFL did a great job. It seemed really seamless from everything I watched. And did I need to see Goodell in his basement, you know, with everything going, you know, the way his basement looked? No, I, I don't. Less is more with Goodell for me. But uh, the way they did the draft was great. And there was no hiccups from what I watched. It was cool seeing a lot of the players having cameras in their houses and everything. So it was seamless from what I saw. And I'm hoping the same thing happens with Major League Baseball and potentially the NBA whenever they decide they want to do their draft. So we'll talk draft. Is this a college-heavy draft? Is it a high school draft? Do we know? I mean, they didn't play. 
I mean, you had very few games in college baseball. You had very few games in high school baseball. How does that affect the draft? You know, because there are kids that from their junior to senior year, they get taller, they get stronger, they throw harder, they hit the ball further, and they didn't really get that opportunity. How does that affect the draft? We'll find out at 3 o'clock. And then our buddy Scott Miller from San Diego, longtime Major League Baseball columnist, CBS Sports, all that, but now he's Bleacher Report, and he does stuff on the Padres broadcast, and always a terrific perspective on the game of baseball as the negotiations are on. When I saw Buster Olney put out there that there's some owners are willing to say, scrap the season, it'll save money. Some people will be like, oh, my God, we're not going to have a season. And then people like me go, what is this really? You got to look into the message, right? People use the media all the time. Like, I know in the past when when somebody was floating me something because they wanted me to go out and say it because it helps them. Now, I don't always do it because in the end, we're all about the we're all about the business of Team Townie. And if this ain't helping Team Townie, I ain't gonna do it. But I do understand you negotiate through the media. So somebody calls up Buster Olney and says, Hey, listen, some of the owners, look out. Some of the owners, some of these guys don't want to play. And then he's gonna read, then he's gonna type it, and he's gonna tweet it out. Next thing you know, this is gonna go to Tony Clark, and it's gonna go to all the union heads, and all the players are gonna see it. <gasps> what? Some owners don't want to play. This is all about leverage. This is business. And I know it's it, it is really ugly at this time. It was ugly during the pandemic. Now that we have protests slash riots, uh, it's really ugly. But it is what it is. What I do hope is that they truly understand you need to get back on the field. Because if you don't, oh, man, you're tone deaf and you have no idea what you'll do to the sport. If you get the NBA going and you get the NHL going and and you got uh, golf being played, NASCAR's running, if all these other sports are going – and even the NFL's going to training camp and you're not playing. I wish I could really sit down with everybody in baseball. Get them around the campfire and let Uncle Townie give them a little speech. Because you have no idea what your game will look like if you don't play. You have no idea. Look what happened when they canceled the season. Chipper Jones, Hall of Famer, and Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer, have just spoke out saying, guys, we almost killed the sport when we didn't have a World Series. So many people said, to hell with it. You needed to have Cal Ripken Jr. break the all-time games played consecutively record of Lou Gehrig 
to kind of get some people back. And then you had to have steroid guys be hitting home runs basically every game to get people to come back. That ain't happening again. There's not going to be a Cal Ripken and a Mark McGuire and a Sammy Sosa to save you. So the players have sent a new proposal. I'm down with it. Season starts on June 30th and goes till October 31st and then playoffs in November. It'd be 114 games. I think we all would be like, thank God, 114 games. A salary advance of $100 million to split among players during the so-called spring training 2.0. It's a lot of money. I mean, obviously, there's the negotiation of the revenue is not going to be the same. No one's paying for parking. No one's paying for tickets. No one's paying for hot dogs and beer and popcorn and all the different things. Sausages. We're not going to be in the treehouse. There's no cocktails being served, which is sad. Makes me want to cry. I miss my treehouse, Cody. Hopefully soon we'll get to, well, we don't know if we'll get to see it this year, but we'll see it again soon. And uh, I know what you mean. You're you're uh, a man amongst the people when you go out there. Well, you're always a man amongst people no matter where we go. But when you're when you're at the Coliseum, I mean, you're the guy in the treehouse. That's my hat. That's my that's my spot. I miss my treehouse. Not that I ever I I've never ever had a cocktail when I'm in the treehouse. That has never never ever happened before. <laughs> you have never seen me with a beer in my hand at the treehouse because it's when I'm there it's all business why are you silent uh, I'm I don't know I was laughing off mic <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm, I'm laughing amongst myself because you know every time I mean every time I've ever gone in here and see you you're always right behind you're behind the desk with the headset on do, you know uh-huh. doing uh-huh. your doing the pregame and that's the only time I ever see you I don't see you before the show starts or after I see you during because I'm always walking through either if I'm going home or if I'm just hanging out for a game, I see you because I usually go out in the balcony off the clock and enjoy, enjoy a, f- a few brews with people if I'm there or uh, or I just hang out and watch the game for a little bit. So I've never once seen you drink in there, ever. Thank the only time I've ever seen you drink at a game was when we hung out after we were both done working yes. and we sat in the stands or we s- stood out somewhere in the field and just watched. Facts. Additional deals – Players wearing microphones on the field and other broadcast enhancements. Now, this is from the this isn't from baseball. This is from the players union. Players union is offering, hey, we're gonna make this more entertaining. Offering to hold events such as an off-season all-star game, home run derby, to help generate additional revenue. So we're working here, which is a good thing. And hopefully we will come together as a sport, get these guys some money, 
Get these guys on the field. Let's start playing games. Everybody else is doing it. I don't know how hockey's going to do it. They've got some crazy, what is it, Cody, 24 teams, and they're going to start playoffs with 24 teams. NBA, they're, they're talking about going to Disney World. Uh, golf is playing. It's June 11th. Golf is, is, is ready to go. We've been seeing golf events already. NASCAR's already going. You're right. Twenty. I think I believe it's 24 teams the NHL wants to use. Uh, unfortunately, none of the California teams will be in the playoffs. So sorry for us for the Sharks because we like watching them and it's all playoff, playoff hockey is incredible. Although I already have a playoff beard growing, it's been growing since uh, March, so that doesn't really matter anymore. I can still keep it growing because uh, my beloved Penguins would still be in there. So I got at least one team in the playoffs. The NBA is supposed to meet again about discussing their season and. I mean, we're talking about potentially having NFL training camps start before the NBA decides to come back. Think about that. NFL training camps before the NBA decides to come back for their season. Hey, man. The NFL's not going to lose money, bro. This is the NFL. They are going to do everything they can because they are about one thing. Revenue. They ain't losing out on the revenue. They're not losing out on the TV money. It's the NFL. It's how they roll. They're going to do everything. I mean, I've been hearing some crazy stuff of what they might do. And let me tell you something. If a guy tests positive, they ain't shutting down. It's the NFL. You watch. I'm with you. But, I don't think they will. I mean, they can't. It's the NFL. I mean, they need to generate the money. And even like I, I saw this, we can talk about this more later, but Deshaun Jackson of the Philadelphia Eagles, former Cal Bear, Mentioned how if there's no fans, he'd love to have the players mic'd up. I am 100% behind NFL players being mic'd up during a game. Now, I know they do that for different segments for, like, mic'd up when they used to do that for ESPN. But having players mic'd up for every game if there's no fans would be incredible to hear just the pads crunching and all that stuff. Like, all the different stuff you'd hear. Because, like, we saw, I don't know if you watched any of the XFL games. They would uh, bring on the coaches and they would tell the play live as it's going on, like, it's cool to see that from behind the scenes. Now, the NFL would never do that, probably because uh, their plays are probably more sophisticated than what they were running in the XFL, which is now gone again. Who? Yeah. Who? Apparently, they're gone again. Vince McMahon's not going to bring it back for a third time from what I was reading. So, that would be fascinating. Now, because of the language, you're not going to have that broadcast on Fox or CBS or NBC. I mean, I guess you could get away with it on ESPN because it's cable. I mean, we've been seeing cursing now going on. I didn't get to see the second part of Lance Armstrong. I forgot it was on. I saw the first one. God, what a bad guy he is. Well, let me see. uh, While we're talking, I'll see if I can find the uh, ratings for the second episode because I told you more than uh, less than one million people watched uh, the first episode when it debuted. So. What I mean, some people, it, it, he's a very unlikable guy. To watch. I mean, he's such. If so, there's 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 two different Lance Armstrong uh, documentaries on Netflix. I watched them a while back, so I can't even tell you what the the names are. But he is such a bad guy. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. By the way, speaking of, it's a young man's game. And why, I guarantee you, there's so many guys chomping at the bit to get this thing going. Did you realize from 2019, 40-man rosters on opening day, 
when you look at service time, zero to one year of service time made up the majority, the the, the highest percentage of rosters, 40-man rosters. 30%. 30% of the 40-man rosters last year on opening day were guys who were just making their debut or had been there for a year. That's crazy. How about one to two years of service time? That's 16%. Two to three years service time. That's 11%. And now it just starts to drop. Three to four years service time, 9%. Four to five years, just 6%. Five to six years, 6%. But this is the crazy one. And I don't know how much this surprised you, Cody, that six years or more is 21%. So the most players on 40-man rosters, 2019, were either veterans, six years or more, 21%, or you were just getting to the big leagues or you've been here just one year, and that's 30%. I mean, nothing else is close. Is that crazy? A little bit is, yeah, but those are also the guys that um, that aren't making the, the money that those guys that six-plus years are making, so it's interesting. You know who, You know where I got that stat from? The great Paul Hembikides, who's going to join us in 10 minutes so we can talk to him about it. But that's where I pulled that stuff from because I remember him mentioning about this on Buster's podcast last week when I listened when they had to share on. And he mentioned about all this. And it was just crazy to see the the amount of uh, people who made their debut and the, in regards to money and service time. It's, it's just crazy that 6% of or 21% of players are six plus years in the league or, you know, when you think of that, you think of guys like Verlander and Kershaw and Granke and Ar- Arnado. You're not thinking of guys like Altuve and Bregman. And, well, Bregman's not six years, but Altuve players like that because you're thinking of the older guys, like I mentioned, that are still in the league. Donaldson, although he's close because he's only been in the league since, what, 2012? So he's on, what, eight years now? Eighth or ninth season? No, 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 no. He made his debut because he came up in the Toronto when he was still a catcher. The A's were in Toronto, and Donaldson came up for like two games. What year was that? His service time, according to baseball reference, on January 1st of 2020 is 7.15 years. So okay, a little yeah, over seven debut, years. His debut was 2010 or 2011. Oh, God, no. It was, uh, I'm looking right now. It was 2010. He played in 14 games with the A's, and then he didn't come back yeah. until 2012. Now, we have something a lot of fun for you A's fans today. And this article came out about unknown players that owned Hall of Famers. And it's a really fun article, but they got one really, really wrong. And I'm just going to tell you, I've been in communication with the skipper, Bob Melvin, about this article on MLB.com. Andrew Simon friend of the program I sent this article to Bob Melvin you will get his reaction and then to keep teasing you we do a well Cody did because I I, I, I'm not this big of a nerd Um, Cody did a deep dive into former players that are now with the A's and how they did against Hall of Famers. So we will look at the skipper, Bob Melvin, 
and you're going to love the guy he owned. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's famous. We're going to look at the Hall of Famer Ray Fossey owned. There's one Hall of Famer rated really well against. Who did Billy Bean do well against? Mark Kotze, former A's outfielder, now with the organization once again. He owned a Hall of Famer. It's very, very impressive. And then the best story of them all will be our good friend Scott Emerson on his career and what famous moment Scott Emerson was a part of. So we're going to do a deep – how much fun did you have doing this, Cody? Uh, it was great because you and I were talking about it a little bit last night, and I was, we were doing the research. To, like, I was in it with you when we were talking, and I, I went back and I dove even more into guys like Kotze and Billy and and Fossey because we were mainly just doing Bob Melvin. And then I looked, and I was like, all right, what guys on the A's staff, coaching or, or, or uh, front office? And I thought of – you mentioned Billy, then I thought of Kotze, then I had a tie in the Scott Emerson story because – Emo actually posted something about it on his LinkedIn page because we're friends on there, and, or connection. Sorry, let me get the lingo right for LinkedIn. And I was like, all right, I have to put this in there somehow because uh, there's a one famous guy that owned Scott Emerson because we're talking about guys that own pitchers. Well, how about a pitcher getting owned by a player? So I had to do the reverse reverse trend for that one. But it was a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I felt like Sarah and Hembo for a little bit there, just diving into stats and doing a lot of research. A lot of fun to find out what uh, players Fossey and uh, Bob Melvin owned in their careers that are Hall of Famers. It's pretty incredible stuff. I was just going to tell you this. Billy Bean, uh, 0 for 2 with a strikeout against Steve Carlton, and 0 for 3 against the great Tom Seaver. I mean, some of these names are class. I mean, because Melvin, I mean, Melvin faced so Melvin owned David Wells. Wow. Also owned our own Kurt Young. That was my favorite one. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Melvin even faced Hoyt Wilhelm. No, that was – was it Wilhelm or was it – no, it was um, Fossey faced Hoyt Wilhelm. Fossey faced Hoyt Wilhelm? Yes. One at bat. Let's give it away right now. One at bat, Fossey faced Hoyt Wilhelm. Got a base hit. He batted 1,000 versus the Hall of Famer. That doesn't count. We're doing big. We're that's a what they call what we call in the industry a small sample size, but uh, Fossey owned a couple Hall of Famers. And, oh uh, yeah, can't hey, wait. Hey, hey, Foss fared okay against his uh, battery mate Gaylord Perry. So we'll get into that because it's a lot of fun. Coming up next, we're gonna have Paul Hamakides. He's the top researcher and producer at ESPN, and he'll have a little trivia for us. He's owned me. He's owned me lately. We'll see how I do today. That's all coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. That's right, it is A's Cast Live, and he he joins us every single Monday. He's the top producer, researcher at ESPN for the show Get Up. And also Buster Only's podcast, Baseball Tonight. And I'm thinking, Cody, we need to get him like his own like intro. I don't know how you're going to do that, but uh, Himbo, you need a special intro. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll let your uh, your listeners a quick peek behind the camera because usually you, me, and Cody, we hop on this sort of Google Chat type thing, and 
you know, we get to see each other's faces, which and I think which sometimes enhances, you know, the experience because, you know, we don't cut each other off and, you know, it's, it's easy to read the room that way. I've told Cody, I'm not doing that again. I'm, I'm, I'm calling in today on the cell. I'm not looking at you guys. I'm not doing that again until you cut your hair because I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Last time that was, that was distracting me and the quality of my work was compromised as a direct result of your haircut or your lack thereof. Okay. So Mike Gundy, the head coach of Oklahoma state football has one of the great <laughs> mullets. I, I'm get, I, I, I'm, I'm, my mullet is starting to finally come in. I'm really excited about my hair growth. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'm not a credential member of the Oklahoma state press corps, nor would I be. I'm in, pro, I'm in protest here. I will wait until the day you finally take a weed whacker to that main of yours before I call back in on the Google chat. Cause otherwise it will just be too distracting. Oh, it's be. I mean, the locks. I've never had long hair. It's beautiful. I, my wife hates <laughs> it, which makes me. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan, the K-Man Straley, who's in the KBO, made me say, made me promise that he won't cut his beard and I won't cut my hair. Oh my goodness. Okay, so we're in this. We're in this for the long haul. Like the question is, what happens first? Like your wife sleeps in another room, where I decide to call back in and see your pretty face on the chat. We'll see what happens first. By the way, uh, I, I was thinking about you. I saw some of the – I mean, it's happening to all of us. It's San Francisco. It's Oakland. It's San Jose, Los Angeles, San Diego. Uh, things didn't look so hot there in Philly. Uh, things were not so hot in Philly, but that's just, you know, unfortunately been the case everywhere. You know, all you have to do is, you know, cross your fingers and, and hope and pray that people can remain as, as safe as possible. I mean, I'm, uh, I've been living in you know, New York for the last two years, and – you know they've been uh, they've been sort of hammered too. This is this is just sort of the way of the world now, unfortunately. And and obviously, like I said, you hope and pray that you know things can can, can cool down here because this is just no way for us to proceed. I think I think it's it's very very difficult to see us going through this right now and to see some of our you know see our you know some of our beautiful cities um, you know compromised in this way. But obviously, you also sort of understand you know where the protesters are coming from too. It's, it is a very challenging time you know for us, and so it it almost feels trivial to be talking about baseball. But at least speaking for myself, it, it goes a long way in, in sort of distracting me, which I think sports can do. Like sports can not only you know serve as a distraction, um, you know, to sort of live in that world, but sports I think can also go a long way in, in, in providing an agent for change because there's so many famous and outspoken and popular pe- people with you know really really good strong opinions, and I'm hoping that we can use this chapter as a way to sort of engender that rather than you know all the uh, you know sort of the hatred that you see back and forth, which is obviously just so devastating. So do we have some trivia today? Uh, we have some trivia today, kid. Last time you, you did quite well. The time before, not so well. So this time I've mixed in some uh, some A stuff, some general stuff, and then I also have some sort of you know Major League Baseball financial notes, which I think Katie uh, Cody really enjoyed. If we get a chance on the back end, but I'll start you off with trivia right away if you're ready for me. Let's do it. All right, we'll start with this. This is this is an answer with two. Uh, this is a question with two correct answers. I'll give you one for each. Who are the only two members? of the 500 home run club that were switch hitters. Eddie Murray and Mickey Mantle. Bang. <laughs> wow. I thought for sure you get Mickey Mantle correct, but Eddie Murray, 504. I asked that question. Sometimes people answer Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones, 468 home runs. You are, you are off to the races, my friend. Very well done. You've obviously been preparing it. And, you know, I think we had a bye week last week. I wasn't able to call in. I, I think it was – I think it had to do with the holiday. Very well done. We'll, we'll, we'll see here if you, uh, we if you get this one right. Yeah, yeah. We got, I, I had a buy. You know, that's 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 how it goes around here. I'm 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 premium talent, and you guys are you know you need to start, you need to start oh, hey, hey, that hey, way. We, hey, right. You're a show pony. We know that. 
Okay. Well, hopefully the buy. You know, hopefully this is like you know one of those one of those sixteen game seasons. You only get a buy, maybe two. We're not going to extend it too much after that. Okay. Which Negro League player could reportedly circle the bases in twelve seconds? Some people believe he's the fastest player in baseball history. I mean, I I would have to. I mean, it, this seems too easy to say Jackie Robinson, but I know Jackie Robinson. Uh, obviously, track, football, basketball. He's one of the great American athletes. I, I got to go Jackie. Jackie is incorrect. I'm, that isn't to say that Jackie couldn't circle the base wait, in wait, 12 Cody seconds. Wait, Cody knows. Who is it, Cody? If you know. Hit me, Kerry. I'm going to say Satchel Paige. That's incorrect also. Satchel, Satchel Paige was, like, very uh, very anti-running. Like, that was, like, his thing. You know, he says, stay away from the red meat. Don't run. It'll warm up your blood. He was very superstitious in that, in that way. The correct answer. No, it's not Larry Doby. The correct answer to this question is Satchel Page. This is Satchel Page's roommate. One said of him, just turn out the light switch and be in bed before the lights went out. Is that is that is that give you a, a hint or is that still sort of forward to you? I've heard that, but yeah, I don't know. The correct answer is Cool Papa Bell. Cool Papa Bell, who some consider the fastest player in baseball history. I thought you had a chance at that one. A little tricky. All right, question number three for you. Who are the only two players in A's history to win more? Then three Gold Glove awards with the team. For frame of reference there for your listeners, the Gold Glove has been awarded since 1957. Most Gold Gloves in A's history. Well, one's Eric Chavez. Eric Chavez is correct. He won six in the so six consecutively from 2001 to 2006. I thought you might get that one. Are, are, are they Oakland A's? Yes, uh, since 57. So. The, the other guy was would have done it all in Oakland and all in the early 80s. He spent his entire career in Oakland? Stand by. Never. Let me let me, let me check you on that one. I thought – let's see here. Did he, let's see what else I, Did he ever play in Kansas City? No. No, that's – that is – if that helps you at all, he, he did not play at all in Kansas City. He was an outfielder, a speedy outfielder. Oh, he won uh, gold gloves consecutively in 80, 80 through 85, six years in a row. Really light hitting, sort of light hitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dwayne center Murphy. Center fielder. Dwayne Murphy is correct. Well done. It took you a little bit to get there. I really enjoyed perusing his, his baseball reference page. He's not something you hear much about at all. Six consecutive, six, uh, consecutive gold gloves in the early 80s. Um, really, really good defender. Obviously, you run the bases a little bit. 115 career OPS plus. So maybe not quite a light hitting guy like I described, but yeah, a really, really nice player. Because you always, when you start talking about, and when you said 57, I had to think, okay, is, is this a guy that started in Kansas City and then came over to Oakland? He, it looks like Murphy here in 78 debut with the team, played for 10 seasons with Oakland, then one year in Detroit, one year in Philadelphia, uh, two forty six career batting average, but he did have a, he did have a little punch. That's I always have to frame my, like anytime you look at numbers from the eighties, you always really have to frame your reference. Think like that was such a power sap time. Like Mike Mike Schmidt led the National League in homer seven or eight times and yeah. never even hit never even hit fifty. So like that was a like so so a guy like you know so, so, just looking at him for example, this guy um, Murphy four oh two career slugging, but a one fifteen career OPS plus fifteen percent better than the league average hitter. During the span of his career, all right, well, very well done. Two um, for three. He's la- yeah, th- th- that's that's 
you know, for your listeners who haven't heard these Mondays, that's really good by your standards, but these are going to get tough. At least I think so. We'll see. We'll see how much of a, of a of a cinephile you are. So Lou Gehrig supplanted Wally Tip as Yankees' first baseman on this date in the year 1925. My question for you: Who played the role of Lou Gehrig in the 1942 film Pride of the Yankees? Wow! Oh, have you seen uh, it? Have you seen it? No. Um, okay, uh, so that's going to hurt you a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just, just going to take a while, like Burt Lancaster. That's incorrect. First of all, I highly recommend you see it. It's an old flick, but a really yeah. good one. The correct answer is Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper immortalized Lou Gehrig in Pride of the Yankees. I, I actually read a whole it's, it's my favorite baseball movie. I read a whole book about it. And I, 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 something Cooper. I did. Gary, Co- Gary Cooper, very famous actor from the 40s. Ronald Reagan was actually the runner-up to play Lou Gehrig in the flick. I would, look, tell your wife, look, on Friday night, we're cutting my hair and we're watching Pride of the Yankees. I'm sure she'll have no objections whatsoever. Okay? <laughs> I, I, right. I, obviously, I, I know yeah. of the movie. I've just never seen it. I would recommend it. It's a, like Some of those old sports movies hold up a little bit better because they don't really try – to do like my big objection with sports movies is that the the actors are always so bad that it actually sort of it really to me waters down like like we watch baseball so much we watch so much baseball that seeing like you know see, seeing you know Justin Timberlake you know it just doesn't it just doesn't add up for me this is a movie that doesn't even really attempt to do it I love Pride of the Yankees Gary Cooper right. remember right. the name okay but my last Cooper. question for you is this Gary Cooper this one's tough who was the first pitcher to win the Cy Young Award. It was given in 1956 for the first time, and it was given as one award for both leagues. Gaylord Perry. Gaylord Perry is incorrect. What? You're, you're, you're awfully confident in that, in that answer there. So Gaylord Perry is, is, the, is the answer to the question, who was the first pitcher to win the Cy Young Award in both leagues, if I'm not mistaken? That's, yeah, that's not this question. You were this... What were you asking? Who was the first pitcher to win the Cy Young Award? The first Cy Young Award was given in the year 1956. Oh, Who oh. won it that year? That's oh, what I'm asking. You like the Gaylord Perry knowledge of knowing that he was the first I, one to win in both leagues. I do like the Gaylord Perry knowledge. I will, I will, I will send that. I will send that up to the uh, league office for considerations. Should you get this wrong for partial credit? Okay. Who was the very first? Does it matter which league? No, because there was. They didn't separate the Cy Young by league until 1967. So the first winner, 1956, he was a National League pitcher, but you could have won it in either league. 1956 National League pitcher, so I can't go Koufax. No, so Cody, don't say you know. You already blew it. Satchel Page is a pitcher, and you act like <laughs> I've been to the National League Museum, by the way. Um it's tremendous. Cindy Koufax, whatever it's worth, did win the did win the signing award three times before it was split into both leagues. But he was not the first one to do so. Your, yeah. your timeline is correct. I'll yeah, be really impressed if you get this right. Old. And then let Bob me give you let me give you a hint. Let me give you another hint that I think should steer you in the right direction. Okay. But this, he did this pitcher did it for the Dodgers. But obviously at that point they wouldn't have yet been in in LA. Oh, Don Newcomb. Don Newcomb is correct. Newcomb ah! was the first Cy Young Award winner. Very well done, my friend. 
you're, you're doing a better job at not like some people when they are so eager with these questions that they just think of the first thing they said, for example, Gaylord Perry, right? So that was a good job deconstructing my logic, eking some hints out of me, landing on Don Newcomb. Don Newcomb, who just died a year or two ago, is, is, is very under-remembered in my judgment historically. Any, any person who doesn't get you know, elected to the Hall of Fame often gets forgotten fairly easy, easily, but he was the first He's the first black pitcher to, to make the all-star team. We won the first Cy Young Award, like I said. He was a, a legend with the Dodgers, and I think he was, he was 92 years old. A really, really, um, a really awesome life. And he, I think he missed two years uh, due to military service as well. Well, you think about that. That Back then, then that was more like an MVP award because only one guy got it. You know, now we split right. it up, National League, American League. But if you won the Cy what what year did you say they, they, they split it up? 67. So if you won it before 67, yeah. you had a year of years. I thought you were going to get Don Drysdale, who won who won the award twice as well. Like, Don Drysdale would have been a good answer. Also. Let's see here. Yeah. Don Drysdale, excuse me, once. In, in 1962, Don, Don Drysdale won the signing award in 1962 as a 29-year-old. Or, excuse me, as a 25-year-old. So he could he could have... He could have been a good answer, too, but for you to get Newcomb before Drysdale is a good pull. That is, that is impressive work, my friend. Thank you very much. I brought my A game today. You sure did. Uh, think and cap. I guess you're storing some extra brain cells in that hair of yours. Well, think about this, because, you know, normally you live in lower Manhattan. I mean, can you just imagine what it was like back in the day to have the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Yankees all in New York? Th- that was... People have asked me before, like, if you could go back to any time in baseball history, what would it be? I say that. I would have lived in, you know, lower Manhattan in the early 50s when all three teams were good. All three teams had stars. That was – that. I think and, – and Ken Burns baseball sort of frames it this way. I think that was probably peak baseball. I do. Now, I don't really know – like, it's very, it's very myopic to say that, I guess, because, you know, it's three teams, it's one city. How much does the whole country care? But those teams had stars, you know. They, those teams had hall, all had Hall of Fame center fielders. Those teams had all legendary managers. It's, I I think like I'm not sure which which team I would have been a, a fan of of the three. I mean, obviously, like what what is so interesting to me about that? I actually went to um, I just went down to Brooklyn a few months ago with with a friend, and we sort of went, you know we walked around the footprint of where Ebbets Field was, which is now just uh, sort of you know dilapidated apartments, for lack of a better term, to be candid. Sort of made me sad. Like, I, there, you know, Jackie Robinson has like a huge uh, park named after him in the area, and you know everyone was playing basketball. And when, when you think about the Giants and the Dodgers leaving at the, almost the exact same time, leaving that void. Now the Mets came one or two years later, so they didn't. You know, they obviously the, the the overlap was was very was very short. But I think that is the answer to the question. Like, where would be the best time and place for a baseball fan to ever be? I would have loved to have been a 15 year old in 1950 and sort of grow up with those teams, all there, all good all at once willie mickey and the duke it's a great song there's a great song after them too that's a, it's a legendary baseball song that like that is truly that is truly a legendary time to be a baseball fan so when people ask me now people ask me like because like obviously we've talked about you know putting a team in charlotte or a team in portland or montreal or mexico you know mexico city when people ask me where i think we should add a team i always say brooklyn i always say brooklyn because i really think adding a, a, a a third team in that media market now could work. I really, I really do. I, I, it's not a popular answer to that question, but I really, I truly feel given the volume of people that live in Brooklyn, Brooklyn by itself would still be a top five city in the country by its population. 
excluding Manhattan, excluding Queens, excluding all the other boroughs, Brooklyn itself is that densely populated. I think the team could thrive there now, even though baseball isn't obviously near what it used to be, you know, back in the 50s. How many people live in Brooklyn? Millions of people live in Brooklyn. I think two, I think two, somewhere between two and three million people currently live in Brooklyn. And that's, and I think that goes, it goes a long way in making your decision. Like the, the Dodgers were so beloved there. And when I think of, as I was walking around the footprint of Ebbets Field and I was, I was watching you know, all these kids play basketball, it just sort of saddened me. And I just wonder like how much, of, how much of a difference it would make now to have a team there how much? How, like how many more young people would would enjoy the game? I, th- I think the, the Nets going to Brooklyn has made a huge impact. But those guys sell out all the time. It's become a very popular and cultural phenomenon in Brooklyn. I would I would love nothing more than to add another team in in, in Brooklyn. I, I truly I truly think that it would work. I think having a National League team there would be just so incredibly charming and make for it make for so many wonderful storylines. I really do. Can you imagine that conversation with the Steinbrenner family? Hey, we want to move another team into your market. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't mind at all. Two and, two and a half million people live in Brooklyn approximately. That's the kind of that's the kind of the the, the dense the dense population we're talking about here. I I think I think you could do it. I know Major League Baseball is very interested in expanding geographically, but I think Major League Baseball has as big a problem in terms of 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 sort of recruiting young fans and making fans uh, of, you know, making lifelong fans of young people. I think that is their utmost priority. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of better places you can go than there. If you're really, if that's truly your priority, which in my judgment, it should be far more than expanding the sport geographically. So what did you think of the new proposal put on the table by the players to the owners? Uh, I thought it was, um, I thought it was ambitious. I guess I would say, I mean, I thought the owner's, proposal was was you know pretty ambitious as well what's fascinating to me about the the, the sort of tug of war here is the like just the wide variance of of salary that these players are are you know obviously we know baseball's economic structure is such that you know the top players the top payers get you know you know 30 million dollars a year and that's majority of guys make close to the minimum which is you know half a million dollars that's what's so interesting to me about this is that we're talking about for example last year 1400 players right only 9% of them made $10 million and only 3% of them made $20 million. And about 80% of current players in major league baseball have accrued less than six years of service time. Baseball is a young man's game. That is why I think major league baseball's proposal, you know, to the players last week was actually sort of brilliant because it's one that sort of catered to a huge majority of the players. The problem is that the, you know, the, the, the player pool that it catered to aren't the most famous, aren't the most popular, right? So, that's a, it's a very tricky thing. Like, do you really want Max Scherzer to be a public enemy if you if you if you're the owners of these teams? I don't think so. Same with Bryce Harper. I understand why they did it, but I ultimately think it's a it's, it's a short sighted decision to try and paint the players as the villains here as they're arguing over how many millions of dollars they're going to make. In terms of the players' proposal, the thing that struck me most, and I, I'd imagine you know you would say the same, is how how many games they want to play. So the players, I think, what they're trying to do make this thing happen fast. 114 games in a June 30th start would mean you have to make a decision like today or at the very least at the end of this week, right? Because they keep using the three-week window as the amount of time. And I think that was probably a smart strategy because they, what they want to do, obviously, is sort of as best they can paint the owners in a corner from a timeline perspective, hoping they can get as much as they possibly want. But I have good reason to believe that the owners are going to slow play this thing because I think there's a pretty large contingent of them that are looking at their books and saying, you know what, we're going to lose a, a lose a lot of money anyway. And if we're going to lose a lot of money anyway, 
is it really the best thing for us, for me financially, to pay these guys for half a season and to bend over backwards? And Mark Teixeira made the point on our show this morning. Like maybe, maybe the players will get more than what they you know, bargained for here, but how much were they going to suffer in free agency and in arbitration as a result if these guys are hemorrhaging cash? So I think if I'm the players, like I'm thinking long-term here. I'm thinking long-term here, what concessions can I make in the short term to potentially make the next you know, round of CBAs a lot more favorable for me? Not so much like how much am I making this year and only this year? Because like I said, the, the, the crop of players that are being compromised by the Major League Baseball's proposal is a, actually a fairly small number in the grand scheme of the entire player pool. All right, we're going to have Jim Callis on from MLB.com to talk about the draft. I want to take you back to your illustrious college career, college baseball career, and I'm going to ask you a question. All right, so it's only going to be five rounds. But you're a really good player, Himbo. You're a junior. You've had a, you, you had a great junior year. Um, you, you, you are the type of guy that you're not going to be in the first five rounds. So after this, you only sign for $20,000. So when you get drafted from round six to 15, you can still be a really top prospect, but you're only signing for 20. So would you rather go back to school and re-enter the draft as a senior with a chance, hopefully they're going to have 20 or more rounds, or do you say, no, I'm going to take that free agent 20000 to start my career? Uh, the latter. I would take the 20000 to start my career. I think it's easy. I think it's obvious. And the reason for it is because I'm not going to have any leverage when I'm a senior either because like, what are my alternatives then? That's the value of baseball system in which you can leave after, after three years because you, know, you have the leverage of coming back. And that obviously forces Team Fan, even though the draft is obviously compromised this year in terms of its length. If I'm someone who's not going to get drafted in the first five rounds, but likely will go in six through 15, I'm taking my chances. Like that's, that obviously it's a very competitive group of players, but at least I will have some leverage a little bit. Let's say $20,000, right? I could be drafted in the same round the next year, right? And, and, and potentially get even less than that because they know I'm not going back to school. I have a good friend. Um, uh, you guys know him well, won't mention his name on the air, but uh, he went back to college for a senior year absolutely raked at the division two level and he got such a minuscule signing bonus because he had nowhere else to go so and that was sort of a, not a horror story but it was sort of a tale that i sort of you know remember anytime this question is sort of posed I, I personally never had any chance to get drafted at least certainly not that high but i don't think i would benefit myself at all by going back again because i don't have any leverage you know the only question that you might ask yourself is how much is getting drafted this year going to help me though because without you know without the benefit of playing in the minor leagues like how, how much is my skill going to be compromised? You don't wonder if you go back to school, you get another year of college coaching. So there's a lot of different things to weigh. I imagine there's some family considerations too, because a lot of parents are probably going to want you to get your degree. But if it, just in terms of the baseball and just in terms of the money, the sooner you go, the better. You know who I, I feel so bad for is these high school seniors who didn't get a season. And you know your junior to senior year, you get stronger, you throw the ball harder, you hit the ball further. And some guys, when they turn 18, it's really when they start to develop and they didn't get a chance really to show, you know, the, the grade A guys, they already knew because of the showcases. But yeah. the high school guy who grows from his junior to senior year, let's say he, he grows three inches, gains 20 pounds. This guy, I feel so bad for this guy. He didn't get a chance to show his A game. There's no question that there, w- there would be people that would have been drafted this year that would have made it to the big league, probably succeeded, 
that we will never know about. They will never get the chance in professional baseball. Uh, I'll use Mike Piazza as the example, right? A favorite of Tommy Lasorda. If Mike Piazza were a high school senior right now, there's a really good chance we never know his name. Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols is a late round draft pick. There's a, there, baseball is littered with guys like that, littered with guys like that, you know, drafted late, unsigned types, and, you know, obviously, you know, thriving because of their development. That's something we so often forget. Is like, yes, the drafting is really important. Drafting is vital. Drafting is the lifeblood of any organization domestically. But player development is infinitely more important in my judgment, and some players are, are like, you know how, you know, there's so much uh, cookie-cutter coaching in, in the high school ranks, even now with all the information that we have. It wouldn't at all surprise me if there was a lot of really good ball players that would have the chance to have played professionally this year that just won't now. There, I, I can imagine there's hundreds of people whose baseball careers are compromised by this. And look, and if I were in that position, I'd be devastated too. Just, there's so much, there have been so many consequences of, of the coronavirus, obviously so many more uh, impactful and, and important than someone's baseball career, but it trickles down. And as a, you know, as a former high school ball player, and you can say the same yourself, I would be utterly devastated, especially if I was a position, a person in position to play professionally. Oh, God, I just, I, I feel bad. Himbo, we always appreciate your time. It's awesome to hear you. Thank you so much. No more bye weeks. We missed you during the bye week. No more bye weeks. And you, uh, you two stay safe, all right? All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Later, boys. The great Paul Himbakides, better known as Himbo. Satchel Page. I knew. I knew. Cody's pointing at six. See, Cody, with our millennial technology, I can see Cody. He can see me. Cody's pointing at himself. I know, I know. And you pick a pitcher. And, uh, well, I, I text Hembo. I have the timestamp at 141 before you said it. And I text him and said, Don Newcomb, I was correct. I was four for five today. It was impressive. And with the bonus of Gaylord Perry. I knew the Gary Cooper question, too. No, you didn't. You're, you weren't paying attention. I, I knew Gary Cooper's in that. Babe Ruth played himself in the movie, and I've never even seen it. It's another Gary baseball movie. That was Gary Cooper. Who? The, be, the, movies, the baseball movies I've never seen that I need to see. That, for the love of the game, and I, I, I can't believe I'm going to admit it on the air, I've never seen Field of Dreams. What? Yeah, I've never seen Field of Dreams. I can't believe you admitted that. You just you, you just, your, your, your baseball card has just been revoked. <laughs> Uh, I actually, you know, growing up, my parents never forced Disney movies or anything on us. I never even seen angels in the outfield. Gary Cooper born in 1901, passed away in Los Angeles in 1961. The great Gary Cooper. Uh, who's Gary Cooper married to Gary? Uh, there's always, so, it's like Gary Cooper and Veronica Balfi was his spouse. Let's see. He was what the hell was he in? He was in uh, Meet John Doe, Sergeant, yeah. The Fountainhead, High Noon, Man of the West. Never heard of any of them. <laughs> the Virginian, I've heard of that. Nope. Farewell to Arms, I've heard of that. The Lives of the Bingle Lancer. Why do I just know- some of the movies he was in? There was movies that he was mentioned with. I can't remember if it was John Wayne or silent films. He's so old. Oh, they mentioned it in Die Hard. If you ever watched Die Hard, the first one, when they're in the Nakatomi Plaza, he mentions, he goes, uh, you can't play. This isn't time to play cowboy with Gary Cooper <laughs> or something like that. So, so, so it's something with Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly. That's it. Grace Kelly's name I was thinking of. That's who they mentioned in Die Hard. 
You didn't know. You didn't know the answer to the 500 home run switch hitters. I knew Mickey Mantle. I was thinking. I was thinking Eddie Murray, but I I, I didn't want to be wrong because I knew uh, Chipper didn't have 500 uh-huh. home runs. Uh huh. The thing you know you know who I you know what and I, you know I didn't look it up. You know who I was thinking why I uh, had to ask Kimbo about did this person play for uh, the Kansas City Athletics? Because I was thinking, uh, and you know, he never won a gold glove. I was thinking Burt Campanaris. Yeah. Uh, but he can- never won a gold Now I'm looking at it, he never even won a gold glove. It's like Mark Ellis. Mark Ellis is a great defender, and he never won a gold glove either. But once he went 80s, I knew, okay, Dwayne Murphy. I mean, God, in 80, it's, God, 1980, I'm still eight years old, for God's sake. Um, coming up next here on A's Cast Live, we're going to South Korea. We're going into the future. How's the KBO doing? How are they making it work? It's the template for most professional sports leagues. We'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Friend of the program, Marty Lurie, has just put out on Twitter a little while ago, good news, Art Howe got his COVID-19 test back, and it's negative. Thank God. Former A's skipper, longtime big leaguer, and truly one of the nicest men in our game. And when we heard that he got COVID, it was like, oh, boy. So great news for Art Howe. Uh, You know what? a question that you could legitimately ask people at this time. What is the earliest since COVID-19 came into our world? What is the earliest you've cracked an alcoholic beverage? My rule is I don't drink before like three or four in the afternoon. I can't do it. I couldn't even do it in college. Why didn't party in college? Uh, I didn't start partying until... I would say 27, 28, because I was actually allowed to party then. I actually had a life where I could do things. Um, but I would say my my whole threshold is like three or four. If you catch me drinking before that, it has to be either at a baseball game or a sporting event, or I'm just really bored. And that's, well, that's a lot anymore. But I would say three or four for me, but I know some people, I've seen people, my friends back home, they're cracking beers and, and white claws and everything at like 9 a.m. in the East Coast. I'm like... How are you guys doing it? They're out at like 6 a.m. On, on, on St. Patrick's Day for kegs and eggs. I'm like, I, I don't get how you guys can do this. <laughs> eggs and eggs. I love uh, For me, uh, ask Matt Pearl what time we teed off. The professor. We tee off like at 1030 or 1045. So it's probably around 1030 for me. But that that's playing golf. I would say golf. Yeah, that, you can make an exception playing golf or – if you're in a softball league and your games at like a beer league softball and your games like eleven or twelve on a Saturday, like okay, that's fine. But- Actually, you know what I had? I had a uh, I had a beverage on the range before we played, so it might have been like ten twenty, ten fifteen. Was it a Bloody Mary or a mimosa? Uh, it was a Bloody Mary. See, I, see, I don't see that's different. Like, I don't feel like that's actually like. I mean, it's drinking, but I feel like that's not like cracking open a beer at like 6 a.m. like my aunt used to do when we go on vacation on the east coast 
6 a.m. I'm, I'm waking up like to go to the bathroom. Your aunt right? was cracking beers at 6 a.m. So, a quick aside: my aunt passed away a few years ago. But when we were we went on vacation, I I, 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 I wish I could meet her. Yeah. Uh, so my aunt would crack beers at like five or six in the morning. She would drink all day long. <laughs> this is what she did. And I'll never forget we were on vacation, and, and her and my dad never got along, which is always great. She told me if I threw my dad in the ocean, my dad can barely walk. He's getting both of his knees replaced this week, actually, as we speak. He's almost 60. She goes, if you throw him in the ocean, I will buy us a 30-pack of beer. Threw him in the ocean. She laughed. We got a 30-pack of her favorite, Natural Light, and uh, it, was gone by the, it was gone by the next day. Natty Light? Well, my aunt was cheap, so that's what she decided to drink. It was vacation. She wasn't going to buy a Coors Light or a Miller Light because that was expensive 30-packs on the East Coast. Ding, 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 uh, Last night, so Cody has this um, this way about him that he wants me to be working every day. I work he's every day. Bill- you have to work every day. He's the Bill Belichick of streaming. No, no days, days off. off. <laughs> so, you know, normally you guys, you people out there, are probably barbecuing, you're hanging out with family, you're – you're doing something, and it's Sunday evening, right? Sunday, no matter what, is still a family day. Not for Cody. Cody makes me do interviews on Sunday night. So last night at what time was it? 7.30, 8 Seven, o'clock? Well, it was originally 6.30, but we had to push it back to 7.30. For, for Yeah, 7.30 is when we were we did it. So Daniel Kim does a, does a night show, and, of course, you've seen him on ESPN – helping out with the coverage of the KBO. And so it's morning there, nighttime here. It was Monday for him, Monday, mid-morning Monday. For us, obviously, it was Sunday evening. Love catching up with him because it's fascinating what's going on. They're playing real baseball games. And now some people, I've had people on Twitter, uh, towns and they're testing, da 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 Come on, man. Golf's going to play. Hoops is going to play. Hockey's going to play. You know, a lot of areas in the country, you can go look it up. Go look up the numbers for Santa Clara County. Go look it up. Their latest census, we almost have 2 million people in Santa Clara County where Cody and I live. Go look up the cases. How are we going to get this thing going? Right now, I don't hear anybody in these negotiations talking about coronavirus. All I see in these negotiations between the players and the owners is about money. Cody, have you seen any of this in these proposals about the actual virus? Not really, and if they and if they talk about it, we, they haven't really released it to us. Like what what the protocols? I mean, we saw. I know in the KBL they test before you before you even go into a stadium. Um, I don't know how Major League Baseball plans to do it. I'm sure they have it in a proposal that we haven't seen, or maybe we just overlooked it. But it's mainly been about uh, the length of the season and money. Hey, when I went down to play court of all, they did the whole forehead temperature thing before they let you in the golf course. Dan the man, Dan the K-man told us, take your temperature in the morning, send it to the trainer. They take your temperature when you get to the ballpark. There's been some spikes that have gone up in South Korea, but no one has tested positive yet. Player-wise, 
these players understand if they test positive, they're done. And someone else will take your spot on the roster. And it's that kind of mentality that if you're a player, you're doing everything you can to be safe. You're you're staying away from people. You're not signing autographs. You're not you're not going many places. You're bubble wrapping yourself because if you test positive, you're gone and you can't come back. N- not not forever. It's just you know you can't come back and play this season. So these guys are being a- a- extra careful. Here is my conversation, Daniel Kim in South Korea. Daniel, it's great to see you again. How is everything in South Korea? Uh, things are moving along. Uh, the season has been going pretty well. Uh, we still don't have the fans in the stands yet, but uh, no major hiccups. Uh, the games are being played, uh, pretty good games uh, in recent weeks. So uh, the weather is great and um, things are going along fairly well here in Korea. So I'm assuming no one has tested positive for COVID-19. Nobody yet. Yes. Which, which, uh, which is a good thing. There have been some little spikes in terms of new COVID-19 cases, but uh, we're still under 100 a day. So uh, everything is in control for now. But, you know, these things, you could get out of control anytime, any moment. So we're still uh, doing all the things that we need to do. And in terms of KBO, we haven't had any uh, a scare or new positive cases uh, as of today. So I, I think about young men, and it's tough for young men to stay in and not go out, but it sounds like they're in the KBO, uh, the players, whether it's the locals or it's the imports from the United States, seems like everybody's doing a good job of probably social distancing and staying away from a lot of crowds. Yes, uh, I think each uh, players are doing what they can from what I've uh, hear. Obviously, uh, it's not just about the league. It's about each player's career as well. Uh, if you were to get this, uh, if you were to get positive for COVID-19, your season's going to be out the window and someone else is going to take the job uh, and your spot on the rota- rotation or on the roster. So all the players are doing uh, what they're supposed to do from what I've gathered. Obviously, there are a lot of players. There are 10 teams uh, and we're talking about including the minor leagues, about thousand players, and so far all of them have been, uh, you know, doing all the things that are smart. So uh, hopefully uh, we don't have any major issues uh, going forward. Now, one thing we've been having fun with uh, are are the cheerleaders who have come up with songs for ESPN broadcasters. Uh, that, that, that that's pretty funny. When I saw that on Twitter, I went, "That's good stuff." Right. Well, as I was, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I was on ESPN and as I was getting off the air, Eduardo Perez told me that on air that he wanted his own song. So as I, as, as soon as I got off the air, I made some calls. And, uh, the cheerleading teams, uh, I spoke to a couple of them and then they, they got to work immediately. And then within a couple of days, they sent me a video and it was funny. And then uh, some other teams started calling me. They wanted to make some songs for uh, some other ESPN guys. And uh, things just got along that way. Yeah, I kind of think if you're a Korean player, the fact that your games are being aired in the United States, you got to be pretty excited about that. Oh, definitely. I speak to the players. And obviously, we don't get the ESPN feed. 
So we don't exactly know what's being said on air, how the game's being presented, but uh, we are fully aware. Players are excited, especially the foreign guys. You know, they they come here and they feel they are on an island, but now all of a sudden, their families and friends back home can get uh, get an opportunity to watch them play in real time. So they're excited. They're getting ton of calls from friends and and and. Uh, family members so they feel much closer to home than than that they expected it to be so uh, american players are definitely uh, excited that um that uh the games are being on air uh, through espn so obviously you're a day ahead of us so right. we're, we're we're taping this it's sunday night this is going to air tomorrow on our show A's cast live. So Mondays is a mandatory day off. Everybody takes it off. Yes. That's been for the last 20 years or so. Mondays have, have been always a day off. It's one of the things that foreign players, especially the American players love, uh, uh, love that they get Monday, all Mondays off. Uh, it gives them a somewhat of a, a break uh, in a busy season. And I think it makes sense to have like a set uh, off days because you know it gives them players to kind of uh, get a breather uh, and spend some real time with family members. So Mondays have been not just the players but the front office as well. They they all take even the members of the media. Mondays are just an off day for everybody, uh, and uh, we like it. Players love it. Front office guys love it. So it's been a, a, a KBO tradition. I guess. You know what I love about that, you know, in, in times where you don't have a pandemic going on is right. that you can really as as a player or anybody working for the organization, since you got Mondays off, you know, Monday I can travel Monday. I can you know, I can wash clothes. I mean, you, you can really like set a plan for every single Monday. And I got to think for the American players, it'd be a great time to get out and, and explore. Right. Not only that, if you think about it, a lot of these uh, American players, they have uh, little kids and uh, a wife uh, in town as well. And, uh, you know, they feel a little bit, you know, isolated because they don't know that many people here in Korea. So having a husband or a dad uh, on Monday, it gives them a real family routine. You know, they could set things uh, obviously with COVID-19, you can't really venture out, but uh, players get get an opportunity to spend a real full day with family members uh, who may not be familiar with the things in Korea. So uh, it gives them a tremendous uh, time off uh, in terms of family wise, and I think it gives them some some somewhat of a balance in their life because uh, you know family is a huge thing for all of us here, and especially for American players because. When they bring, when they, when, when the wives or the kids come here, you know, they might feel a little bit lonely because they don't have the friends or family members here in Korea. So it's one of the better things in KBO. Has, has the play gotten better as the season has gone on and these guys really start to get more into baseball shape? Yes and no. Uh, one of the alarming things in the early part of the season, and I think this has, this is something that Major League Baseball has to kind of keep an eye on because. We're getting ton of injuries. Uh, last time I spoke to you, it was about a month ago before the season was about to start. But since then, the play uh, playing on the field has been great. But we're getting so many uh, uh, leg injuries, hamstring, thighs, 
uh, I, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, we're seeing so many injuries is because, you know, the regular season gets got pushed back. You know, it was a completely different routine. I mean, the routines were thrown off. You get ready and then it gets paused and then you, 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 get, start, uh, you get started again and then it gets pushed back. And then the so players had like an up and down, meaning, you know, they get ramped up and then they are told that they need to slow down and then they ramped up again and then they are told to slow down. So we didn't know where everything was heading back a couple of months ago. And once the season started, you're, you know, you you go at full throttle and that's when you start pulling hamstrings and having these leg injuries. So I think this is uh, something that a major league baseball player should monitor because, uh, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that uh, MLB players will go through the, something similar as well, because, you know, they had the spring training, it was almost over and they, they go home, they work out by themselves. And then all of a sudden they're going to have a, spring training part two and then three weeks or so they're going to start the season you know what uh, i think it, that's a recipe for a lot of injuries yeah i'm glad you bring that up because not only it's the leg injuries but it's always the things we fear the most whether it's uh elbow tommy john or a rotator cuff and then that alters careers i think that you know that's also one of the scary things because so many guys over here are throwing so hard that they don't know any other way. And next thing you know, you haven't been playing, then you get on the mound and you're, you're blowing 99 miles an hour. That could be kind of scary. Right. I mean, I think uh, major league players are, from what I've, what I've heard, you know, they want to play. They want to somehow get to a point where they could start playing games. And once they do that, they're going to get really pumped up. And they're starting, they start you know, running and throwing. And all of a sudden, uh, your body may not be able to handle all that pressure or that uh, competition, and that's 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 how you get injured. So, I think the trainers and the strength coaches need to kind of have a, a different plan once the season gets restarted. So, uh, I could tell you from uh, KBO is that we're getting so many injuries that trainers are just uh, having a tough time right now, and I think. Uh, I think it, it foreshadows what may happen in Major League Baseball. So if the players are listening to this, you know, it's a different routine, different set of time. Uh, you got to be really, really uh, have a really good plan uh, for yourself. Does the KBO have a trade deadline? And, and if they do, how does it work? You know what? There is a trade deadline, but I forget what month of the season this season is because um, everything is different this year. But there is a trade deadline, but there aren't that many trades in KBO only because it's one league, one pretty much one division. It's like LA Dodgers trying to make a trade with San Francisco Giants or Boston Red Sox making trades with the New York Yankees. Since there's, since there's only one division, they're so afraid of backfiring on you. So uh, the trades don't that happen that often. I mean, there was a trade this past week, but it was uh, somewhat of a minor trade. So there is a trade, uh, there is a trade deadline, but in terms of uh, trade activity in a season, it doesn't really have that. It doesn't really happen that often. So you can have three guys on your roster who are not from South Korea. So that's right. so. It, it, we're just not saying American. If one guy could be Japanese, one guy could be Australian. So if you have a a, a foreign born player, right? How can you trade him? 
Uh, you could trade him, but that hasn't happened in years. I can't even remember the last time when a foreign guy was traded. Uh, but uh, usually when it comes to foreign players, uh, it's hit or miss. Uh, they perform, or if they don't, they get released, uh, which happened this past week. Taylor Motter was released by Kium Heroes. Uh, but this year, it's going to be tough to make any changes when it comes to foreign players because, as you know, Triple A has been shut down. We don't even know when, that, when minor leagues are going to restart it again. Usually, KBO teams have list of guys that are playing Triple A that they could just pluck right away. And if a player on a current roster is struggling, uh, you know, they would easily find a replacement either in Sacramento or Fresno or one of these AAA teams. But now that AAA season has been shut down, if you want to make a trade, if you want to make a change, what are you supposed to do? You're going to have to uh, contact a, a player that's sitting at home. So it puts them in a really, really tough position this year. You lived in the United States. You lived in New York. You know this country. You know also everything. In Sacramento. Also in Sacramento. Yes, uh, the capital of the great California. Um, right. It's really bad here with the protests, riots, everything that's going on with the pandemic. What's the coverage of the United States right now in South Korea? Uh, we're seeing the news. Uh, uh, all of us are aware of uh, we obviously don't know how crazy things are because we're not there, but we're seeing the news. It's, it's making the headlines. Uh, I have families back home, so they tell me all the things. So uh, it's a little bit uh, hard to believe. Uh, it's, it's where I grew up. It's where my family is at right now. And seeing these pictures and videos, uh, it's not I, I, just the other day. I saw some pictures from New York that my friend had sent me like burnt, um, NYPD trucks and all these graffitis in uh, Washington Square Park, uh, which is a treasure of New York City. And I see these things and I just cannot believe. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was seeing empty streets. Now I'm seeing uh, city being completely in, uh, being looted and uh, being destroyed. So it's very sad personally because that's where I grew up. That's where uh, New York is, uh, uh, will always be my home. So uh, very, uh, all of us here are concerned and uh, following the news, and it's definitely making the headlines in Korea. Well, as we're doing this interview, we're finding out that the Players Association for Major, Major League Baseball's Player Association has sent a proposal back to the owners. Hopefully, at some point, we'll get this thing going, and uh, your beloved Mets will get back on the field, the polar bear and the Mets. Uh, but, hey, we always appreciate your time. You have such great insight on what's going on over there with the KBO, and uh, let's check in, in in a couple weeks. Thank you for having me, and uh, you guys uh, stay safe, and maybe uh, next time I speak to you guys, uh, uh, I hope there's some Major League Baseball things to talk about. No doubt. You take care of yourself. Be well. Take care. He is good. He's been a very good find for this program. He knows the KBO better than pretty much anyone we, we know. I mean, we've talked to him, Matt Williams, and Dan Straley, and, and also Eduardo Perez, who's a celebrity over there, as you heard in there. Him and Carl Ravitch have their own theme songs from the KBO, and it's been uh, it's been exciting. But you mentioned at the very end of – the interview there about how the players proposed uh, a new proposal to the league. Well, the league's already gotten back, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN. 
Major League Baseball intends to propose a shorter season in which they would pay players a full prorated share of their salary, sources told ESPN. The league believes the late March agreement allows it to set the schedule and that this would fulfill players' prorate prorata desire. Now, we also tweeted the potential Major League Baseball Major League Baseball uh, potentially envisions the season to run somewhere around 50 regular season games, sources told ESPN. That exact number is being considered but would aim to start in July. It will be less than half the players' proposed season length. This is the negotiation. You want 114, we're going to say 60. And what ends up happening? We meet in the middle, 80 to 82 games. Watch. I see that happening. All it is, it's a back and forth negotiation. They know they got to play. The players know they got to play. The owners know they got to play. It's just working out the details. It's a negotiation. And they'll end up at around 80 to 82 games you watch. So... It's ping pong. You know, you served. They hit it back. Now you've hit it back. Look how fast this is going, by the way. Normally these things, because this is a time crunch. Time is not on their side. You know, sometimes you you know, we're just going to flip back and uh, we're going to mull this one over, Cody. Uh, give, 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 give us a week. Give it. They don't have that kind of time. And they all know it. That's kind of the leverage. Who's got the leverage? I mean, look, the Players Union sent something last night. Major League Baseball is already responding before the end of business the next day. That tells you everything you need to know. Everybody wants to get this done. It's just, how do we get it done? How do we make this happen? What's the compensation? What are you willing to play for? How long? I mean, I, I don't like that deal, to be honest with you. I want, I want, I like the players. idea. I mean, I like 114 games. I mean, I want as many games as possible. I'll take anything, you know. I'll, I'll take anything. It's just, we got to work this thing out. Got to make it happen for so many different people. It's, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's beyond the players. It's beyond the owners. It's all of us who work in baseball. So our fate is in their hands. And I know that's pretty heavy, but it's real. Okay, Glenn Kuyper is going to join us in a moment. After that, we've been teasing you, but we are going to do a deep dive into the people who run this organization. Not not their current jobs, but what they did as players. Bob Melvin, Ray Fossey, Billy Bean, Scott Emerson. Cody did a deep, like, I'm getting texts like, "Oh my god, I can't stop! I can't stop researching this." <laughs> there, there was another thing. I, I, I think I can't remember if I told you about it before, but there's another thing a baseball reference does. It's called the Oracle, where you type in two players' names. So I could type in Mike Trout and Hannes Wagner, and you type in their names, and it does a linkage from players that Mike Trout played with, and it goes all the way back how they connect to Hannes Wagner. So 
say Mike Trout played with. Wait, what, what do I do? I put in Mike Trout. Yeah, so you got to go to uh, Baseball Reference. I think it's it's called the it's called the Oracle or Oracle Oracle of Baseball, and you and you type in. So I'll do it right now. I type in Mike Trout. Okay, I'm gonna do Mike Trout. And just do. I'm I'm like going way back. So do Hannes Wagner. No, I'm gonna do George Brett. I just I don't put anything between their names. Uh, no, you just type in. It'll say player one, Mike Trout. Player two, George Brett. And you hit submit on the Oracle of Baseball. Where's the Oracle of Baseball and Baseball Reference? Um, you have to. I you have to. I would just Google um, Oracle Oracle Baseball Reference. Oracle, Oracle Park, Oracle Stadium, Oracle Baseball Reference. It's Baseball Reference Oracle. Okay, all righty. I am there. <laughs> You picked, a really, you picked a really small chain, but I'll let you find it and show you how it works. Mike Trout, George Brett. And then click Submit. Submit. Didn't do anything. It didn't bring up chain of teammates from Mike Trout to George Brett? Nope. Oh, I, I have it right here if you want to hear it. Yes. So Mike Trout played with Chris Young for the 2018 Los Angeles Angels. Chris Young played with Tom Gordon for the 2009 Arizona Diamondbacks. Tom Gordon played with George Brett for the 1988 Kansas City Royals. I'm going to connect Mike Trout to Babe Ruth. That's a good one. Once you once you link it, it's a good one. Mine's not working. So as we say that Ken Korak is the voice of the athletics, we call Ray Fossey the face of the franchise, our next guest is the face of A's television. The great Glenn Kuyper joins us. It's been a while. G. Kuyper, how are you? Hi, Tony. I miss you, buddy. I know. I mean, the fact uh, that we can't see each other, we don't get to do our normal stuff, it's just, it's brutal. I know. I know. It is. It is. I miss everybody at the ballpark so much. It's like uh, ridiculous. You know how in August you're just like sick of seeing everybody? I'll never feel that way again, ever. <laughs> yeah, when you're like tired of being on planes and you're tired of hotel yeah. rooms. Just don't want to talk to anybody, miserable. And I swear, I told my wife, I will never, ever, ever feel that way again. Promise. How much, how much do you miss Delaire? Oh, I mean, I mean, see that I, I'm so lucky because the guys I work with. You know, I mean, I'm I'm friends with, and that includes, you know, obviously the broadcasters, but the production people. I mean, these guys are like some of my best friends. Like, you know, go out and laugh like crazy with these guys. So, you know, I miss everybody. So hopefully we can see each other real soon, even though it's going to be a little bit different. But I think that's on its way. Let's hope so. You know, I was just saying – that normally in these negotiations, everybody kind of waits each other out, kind of figure out the leverage. But mm -hmm. both parties here know there's a time crunch. So you've got the players responding last night. You got the owners already before the end of business today respond, responding. They know they've got to get a deal done. Players said 114 games. Owners are now like, well, maybe 60. I think this <laughs> negotiation is we're all going to meet in the middle and what we thought all along is somewhere around 82, 80. What do you think of that? Um, yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. 
when, when this stuff is going on, you really become a fan, you know, because you just want baseball for all of us. It's, it's, it's work related, but you really just, you want baseball again. So you get a little frustrated with the back and forth, but, but you're right. It is, this is what happens, you know? I mean, and I do agree with you. I think the fact that proposals as far apart as they may be, at least now they're starting to go back and forth. I think that's a big deal. Um, and as far as games played, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, cause you, you obviously see the player side, more games, more money. Um, you see the owner side, they want to make sure that the postseason gets taken care of and they don't want that to last into November. So I think both sides have a pretty good, pretty good, uh, argument as far as amount of games played. It's not the only argument they have, but so I think. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I think it it may be more than than the eighty. I'm thinking maybe ninety. Um, again, a lot of my predictions are are sprinkled with wishful thinking. So, um, but you know, maybe maybe ninety, and and maybe you play to you know the first two weeks of October regular season. We'll see. You know, but but at least they're starting to throw things back and forth. I think that's a big deal. And Tony, I think by Friday or Saturday, I think we're going to be closing in on something. That's just my prediction. Yeah, Nick Swisher said on our program on Friday, and, you know, he's such a positive guy, but he was like, you know, if you've got NASCAR going, you got the PGA Tour starting up on the 11th, you know, the NBA yeah. is talking about starting up. The if, if they're all going and baseball isn't, boy, that'll be a bad luck. Yeah, it it would be it would be horrible. I just I just as hard as it is to to listen now what's going on back and forth. I just do not see any way that they don't play. Um I just don't I just don't. Everybody everybody knows what's at stake. Um and you know, it's a stare down right now. That stare down's going to loosen up in the next couple days and I think we'll see progress you know, maybe, maybe starting Wednesday, hopefully. And, and I do, I'm, I'm pretty confident something's going to get done. And, you know, I, I, I think just, just from a, we need, we need, we need some feel good stuff right now. We all know that. And I, you know, I think trying to start on July 2nd or July 3rd around the 4th of July, I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, you know, it's not the end all, but I, I, I think it would be kind of cool. If, if, if we could get that going by then and, and, uh, you know, make, you know, baseball has a chance to, to be important here. Um, and I, I, I really do think they should take advantage of it. You know, one thing that we talked a lot about at spring training and may be irrelevant now. And if I'm going to play glass half full and something that could benefit the A's, is the fact that they're young pitchers. We're not going to sit here and go, oh, my God, I'm worried about Lazardo. I'm worried about Puck's innings. I'm worried about how mm-hmm. many starts. In a shortened season, right, we can just t- tell these young bulls, let it go. Yeah, I do. And I know you and I talked about that, you know, when this all kind of started. I, I think a shortened season, I think it would it would help the A's. I really do. Um, a couple things. They they have always started slow. We know that. We We scratch our heads about that. I think now they realize that can't do it this year, can't start slow. And they know that. 
and and I think the young pitching thing is important, and I think it would be an advantage where you wouldn't have to worry about innings. And I think too, you know, the A's the A's have a guy by the name of Chris Bassett who's really their sixth starter. Well, he led the team in strikeouts last year, and I think at least the first month when there's not going to be a lot of innings gotten from your starting pitch, if you have another starter, um, I think that's a big deal. You know, so they have six real good starters. Um, how many people can say that? How many teams can say that? So if you want to kind of look at this shortened season from an A's perspective, I mean, I think it has a chance to line up pretty good for them, you know, for a couple of different reasons. But the, the main one is what you're talking about, these starters. And I know these guys are chomping at the bit, these A's players, because the confidence they have going into this season, like they're done with the wild card. They don't want to do the wild card again. And and that they're all a year older. They should be a year better. They're brimming with confidence. And that was the one thing I took away from spring training is these guys are really looking to win this year. Yeah. Well, no question. And I think it's a very important year, Tony, for the A's because, they they really didn't lose anybody from last year. So you got a 97-win team. You didn't really lose anybody. And you're adding two really good young left-handed starters. And, I mean, I think this, I think this, is, uh, this is the year for them. Because next year, you, you know, you, ha- you are going to lose some people unless they can sign them as free agents, which is possible. But Marcus and Liam Hendricks and Fires, these guys are free agents. You hope they stay. But you don't know when you start looking to 2021. So that's what makes this season still. It's it's an important year for the A's because I think they do have a very legitimate chance to win it. I think there's no doubt. And really, the, the, the thing that I don't really care for with a shortened season is I got a feeling this is going to put more teams in play because – when you play 162 games, you get exposed. Your warts get shown, and it's the team, the best teams make the postseason. But my God, let's say, let's just say the players said, "Okay, you want to play 60 games? We get the full pro raise. Let's do it. a 60 game season. I, everybody's in play for that." Yeah, yeah, and and not only that, Tony is, but you're probably you're going to see, uh, you know, two extra wild card teams in each league. Um, so you're going to have more teams in it, um, which which I'm okay with that, but it does change the dynamics for what you're saying in a shortened season. So not only do you have a shortened season, but you have two extra playoff teams from each league. So, yeah, everybody's in play. I mean, it, you could be an average team, but if you play a little bit better than than maybe people thought, you're going to be in the hunt for, you know, for a postseason berth. And this year, with the way it could set up, you know, the, these wild card games, they're going to be three game series probably. So you're not, you know, you're not going to have to just do the one game win. You, you, you know, it's going to be a three game series. I, I don't know. I, 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 I think all this is, it's a little crazy, but I think we could really sit back and enjoy it. Um, if it if if it is shortened season, every game means twice as much, right? That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. How about you know Bob Melvin managing every game? Yeah. 
Like it's, you know, I mean, every game, we have yeah. to win every game. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, that, that to me is kind of exciting um, because you just don't, you just don't have the luxury, I don't think, of having a bad month. Um, even good teams usually over the course of the season, they may have a, a bad month. You know, maybe they just don't play well. I, I just don't know that you can – well, you can't afford to have a real bad month if the season's only going to be three, three and a half months long. So there's a little more pressure on teams, I think, once once we all get, get started. And and really, Tony, I think there's pressure on on teams that are expected to be really good. Um, because you just, you just, you don't have quite as much room for air this year. So I kind of like it. I think that's kind of exciting. I, I don't want it every year, but let's make the best of this. And I think when it's all said and done, this could be a really exciting season, even though it's going to be very, very different. No doubt. And the sport may be played a little bit differently. You know, we may have some changes. I mean, I, I, you know, you hear the rumors you know, like one of them was, hey, they don't want the catcher, the batter, and the umpire to be so close. Maybe this mm-hmm. is when we experiment with the electric strike zone. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I'm not a fan of the electric strike zone. Um, but, yeah, you're talking about three people being very close to each other. I mean, that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, again... I don't think that will happen, but I think your point is that everything's in play here. And I just hope, Tony, I think I hope everybody in baseball and, and, you know, a lot of people, old school, you know, new school, whatever you want to call it. I hope everybody is just open to what is going to be a different year. And let's just try to enjoy it. Right. I mean, it's going to be different. But what if what if there's two or three things that are different that all of a sudden we liked? Like, hey, that was that was pretty good. Um, and I think that will happen. There will be some things this year that are experimented with that turn out to be good. Um, so I just hope everybody keeps an open mind about a, a different year. You know, let's not, let's not complain about things that aren't the way they used to be. Let's enjoy it when it gets going because, because uh, we certainly need it now. And, and I, I'm looking forward to it big time. What storyline with the A's? Are you, whether, think back to spring training or where we are now, that you're most interested to watch? Uh, good question. You know, I, I don't worry about the lineup. Lineup's going to score runs. Too good. Too many good hitters. Defense is fine. Um, you know, so I don't really worry about that stuff. I, I think if if the pitching, if the starting rotation is as good as it can be with the addition of these two young guys and the depth with Bassett, I think you have a chance to have a dominant starting rotation. Um, not just dominant first two, not just dominant first three. I'm talking about dominant throughout. And if that happens, I think these, I think these, that's where they got a legitimate shot. If this starting rotation is as good as we think it can be, then they're going to be really, really, really good. Um, so that, that, that to me is, is everybody, everything else is going to be there. They're going to score runs. They're going to catch the ball. They got a good closer, but man, if that rotation is lights out, look out. That's, 
that's the way I'm, I'm going to watch the rotation and see how they, they go. You know, I've been asking everybody this since this pandemic hit and we've been locked in, you know, everybody's doing a deep dive on something. It's whether you're reading more, you're watching old movies, uh, puzzles, games. What have the Kuipers been doing all this time? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, the kids doing a pretty good job in school. They just finished that all up. That's not easy, but uh, they did a pretty good job with that. My wife is, she loves to work out. So she's been doing that on her own. I had a, I had a plan that I was going to lose 10 pounds. The problem is Tony is I gained five. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Like I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing good. <laughs> so, I'm a little irritated about that. I, I had a plan to lose 10 and I gained five. So I'm down 15. I, uh, I, I asked Cody, I said, what's the earliest you've cracked an alcoholic beverage? And I was thinking, well, <laughs> I, I played golf with Matt Pearl. So it was like a bloody Mary at like 10, 15. That's beautiful. That's there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Although I, I will tell you this, I will tell you this, Tony is I mean, a couple times now I've played golf with my brother, Dwayne and Dennis Eckersley and talk about having fun. Because those two guys were teammates in 1972 in single-A baseball. And then they were teammates with the Indians for three years. So they've known each other forever. And talk about enjoyment for me. Because this is, you know, these are the guys that grew up, you know, thinking we're pretty cool. So now they are telling stories to each other. They are talking about old times. They're talking about stuff that happened in the 70s and they're talking about specific games that they played in and guys that they did like didn't like stories about about teammates and I'm just sitting there going this is unbelievable so that has been a highlight for me um, and we're going to do it again before the season starts two or three more times because they you know we just have fun right let's just get out and play golf um, and then these guys start laughing and talking about about you know stuff that happened in the big leagues and games and it's what a treat i mean it is a treat i, I can't tell you all the stories but it's been fun to listen to <laughs> oh mean, man i mean how about this i was born in 1972 these guys have known each other for 48 years they've they've known each other the length of townie which is pretty good <laughs> and you know i so was at... guys... go go ahead no i was gonna say so you guys are doing good though in the townsend household yeah, everything's good. Like you said, uh, school and my, you know, it's it's like watching my wife, who's a first grade teacher on Zoom, oh, have all these goodness. little kids. And uh, uh, and I think about how cool Eck is and how cool your brother is. And it, it's got me thinking. I mean, you think about your brother's age. You think about John Miller. You think about Coco. Yeah. You think about Ray Fossey, uh, Ken yeah. I've, I You know, it's like we, we've got to protect these guys. Absolutely. I mean, these are these are the guys we look up to, right? So, uh, yeah, they're going to be fine, and and you know, I, I hopefully we'll we'll all be back to work soon. And man, I miss it. I miss it a lot. And and you know, we have a chance to to put some smiles on people's faces. I think a lot of people are going to want to watch when these games start up again, um, and that's exciting. You know, there's a sense of responsibility there for us, and um, so we'll, we'll we'll be ready for it. Let's hope it happens soon. 
you know, we've been bringing on familiar voices and your voice, our A's fans, you're as familiar as any of them. So uh, just to help them make them feel better and entertain them uh, while everybody is still inside. So thank you so much for the time. I miss you. Can't wait to see you and uh, be well with the family. All right. Thanks, Tony. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in early July. How about that? I'll take it. Take care, G-Kipe. All right. See you, buddy. One of the nicest guys in our business. It's not an act. The Kuipers are just, they're, 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 they're from Wisconsin. They're just nice farm boys. I mean, they really are good guys. Dwayne's a great guy. Can you imagine playing golf with Dennis Eckersley and Dwayne Kuiper? <laughs> uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm going to ask you a Dwayne Kuiper trivia question. Dwayne Kuiper had one career home run. Who did he hit it off of? I've seen the video a ton. I have no clue. I know who it is. I'm looking it up just to make sure I was right. It's the great Steve Stone. Steve Stone? Yeah. Steve well, as Stone. an Oriole? Um, uh, let's see. It just says – I'm looking at his numbers. I'm doing like he did with Bob Melvin and everyone else, looking at how he did against oh, all, ready just, just players and stuff. We can start with Dwayne Kuyper because I have it open right here, and we were talking about him. Dwayne Kuyper versus Jim Palmer. And 49 at bats, 17 of 49. He owned Jim Palmer? 347 batting average for the great Dwayne Kuyper, the voice of the Giants, 347 versus Jim Palmer. Now against Nolan Ryan, 14 for 54 with five RBIs. That's 259 career average against Nolan Ryan. You'll you'll take that all day. It's pretty impressive. So what happened is, is they came up with this list of players, unknown guys, who did well against Hall of Famers. And the one that they had against Randy Johnson, I'm like, this is lame. And I sent it to Bob Melvin. I'm like, this should be you. And Melvin's like, I can't believe that. Melvin off Randy Johnson was 14 for 31. That's a 462 batting average. But then Bob texted me back, look at what I did against Fernando Valenzuela. Bob had three home runs off Fernando. Uh, Bob struggled against Nolan Ryan. He only hit 211. He was 0 for 11 against Greg Maddox. 2 for 4 against Phil Necro, Hall of Famer. 1 for 5 against Lee Smith. Dominated the fat guy, David Wells. Hit 400 (laughs) off David Wells. He hit 375 with four RBIs off our buddy Kurt Young. And then we will have to... Bring this up, friend of the program, Mark Gubaza. Bob Melvin at three sixty four off Gooby. Yeah, that that blew my like it didn't blow my mind, but I looked and I was like, hey, let's just see. And I'm like, hey, Mark Gubaza. Wow, Bob Melvin owned Gooby, and uh, and it, I, I I was looking more at Dwayne Kuyper quickly. He owned Eck. I hope I, I hope he talks trash on the golf course to him. <laughs> In thirty nine career bats versus Eck, he's sixteen for thirty nine. He hit. 410 with two RBIs and he walked five times. He struck out once. Wow. How about my man, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey? I can't wait to talk to him on Wednesday. Ray Fossey against Nolan Ryan hit 333. Against Jim Cott, he hit 395. Well, he, he actually hit two bombs off Catfish Hunter. I can't wait to bring that up. I say he fared pretty well against Jim Palmer, the Hall of Famer, 14 for 51 for a 275 average. 
hit 273 against Fergie. And his old battery mate, Gaylord Perry, he hit 250. But the number one thing, Ray Fossey hit 333 against Nolan Ryan. That is awesome. Remember, Fossey has a story about Nolan Ryan hitting him? Yeah. And how bad it hurt? Uh, Mark Kotze. Mark Kotze hit 333 off Greg Maddox. Hit 296 off Tom Glavin. He never struck out against Glavin. That's a lefty-on-lefty matchup. You he think hit he... 289 with six RBIs off Kurt Schilling, who we think is going into the Hall of Fame. And how about this? He had a home run and three RBIs against Randy Johnson, four for 15. Billy Bean, what did he do against Hall of Famers? Struggled against Steve Carlton, 0, 0 for 2 with a strikeout. 0 for 3 against the great Tom Seaver, but... Against Don Sutton, he was 133. He was one for three for a 333 batting average. 333 for Billy Bean against Don Sutton. And then the greatest one of them all. <laughs> Michael Jordan retired. Allegedly. Retires from, from basketball, from fatigue. And now he wants to charge. He wants to. Not about gambling and the associations that he was in. Um, he tries baseball and he goes to Double A. Michael Jordan's first ever base hit was off Scott Emerson, our own pitching coach for the Oakland Athletics. You need to get Emo on the program. Working on it. Working on it. This I'm trying to get him for Wednesday to talk about this. I found a quote in the Boston Globe. You, know, you got to get him before happy hour. That's the thing. Yeah. He's back east, so you got to get him before 3 o'clock. I, uh, I, I found this quote in the Boston Globe from 1994, and it just starts with saying, this is how the article, like halfway through it says, was the player on display yesterday a double-A ball player? Jordan went one for four with a walk. He dropped a fly ball by nonchalantly, nonchalanting a little flare into short right field. He saw a bullet go over his head for a double. He caught a routine fly. But here's a quote from Scott Emerson. If he's willing to ride the buses, I think he can become a player, said Frederick left-hander Scott Emerson, who gave up an RBI single through the first base hole in the first inning. I don't think he was very confident up there. Emerson said he used to kid with his friends for the last two months. If Michael Jordan comes up against me, I'll drill him in the ribs, he promised. When the big moment came up, well, are you crazy? So, interesting to get Emo's thoughts on facing. He posted on his LinkedIn page, he goes, here's my history with the GOAT. And it was, I looked up this – you can't look at the schedule and all that stuff, but Jordan went one for four in the game in single A before he moved up to Birmingham, and that one hit was off Scott Emerson in the exhibition game. So, Emo such- has place in history with Michael Jordan. So, I haven't – I've taped it. I haven't watched the full thing. I, so, my really good friend, she watched The Last Dance, and she was like, Jordan was actually pretty good. And I'm like, huh? She argued with me, and I'm like, Jordan hit 202 with an OPS of 556. Folks, if your name wasn't Michael Jordan and you hit 202 with an OPS of 556, you're getting released. It means you have no power and you don't get on base, and you're not hitting your weight. So I don't know what they tried to portray him as in the last dance. Could he have been a big leaguer? Come on, man. It's hitting 202. I know he worked hard. But anybody else that has these kind of stats, they don't get moved up. 
And can you imagine if Sandy Alderson actually would have convinced him to come to Oakland? You hit 202 in AAA. What do you think he's going to hit at the big league level? Now, I'm not I'm not getting on MJ. I mean, guy hadn't played since he was 17. What do you expect? But those are bad numbers, man. I mean, the fact that he got some hits is cool, but, you know, there's, tall guys, hitting for tall guys is tough. The longer your swing, the more pitchers will take take advantage of you. And that's been the tough thing. That's why you look at most Hall of Famers, they're not 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Willie Mays is as tall as I am. Ricky Henderson, how tall is Ricky? 5'9", 5'10"? I would say I think 5'10". I mean, most of these great players, they're not big dudes. I mean, you think of the really Frank Howard, um, Richie Sexton. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of really successful guys who are 6'7". Dave Kingman. Because most guys get exposed. Because tall guys have long swings. And that's not – you want short and quick. I mean, you talk to a guy that is, you know, a decent size with short quick to the baseball, that'd be one Barry Lamar Bonds. I would say a guy that more recently pops in. Uh, he had a nice little career. A guy that pops into my head is uh, Cody Bellinger. He's 6'4", and he changed his swing. He has a quick swing, and he hit. He only hit 47 home runs last year. Um, I don't know if that's any good. I won an MVP at the age of – But how about Mookie Betts? Mookie's 5'8 five, five, or 5'9". Let's uh, – Double check that because there's there's an article that we can talk to talk about on Wednesday. the uh, The Athletic did a draft of the potential MLB West division, so they took every team that is going to be in there. And they drafted players. I I am very against where Cody Bellinger went in the draft. I am so I can't believe how far down in the draft he went. I vehemently disagree with West it. Coast teams. Yeah, so like the teams that could be potentially playing in the West, the Western division. So like the Rockies, the Astros. Who would you take over Cody Bellinger? Well, I literally just closed it. But number one was um, Mike Trout. Oh, yeah. Number two was Nolan Arenado. Hell no. Yeah, well, that's – let me see if I can pull the article back up. No, those are the first two uh, guys that were up there. And then Mookie Betts was ahead of them. Um, Here, I'm pulling it up right now so I can – I, I go Bellinger too. That's I was gonna say I'd go Bellinger too. Trout no one, Arnado two, Mookie three, Alex Bregman four. Ah, oh, get out of here. Anthony Rendon fifth. Get out of here. Cody Bellinger sixth. Oh my god. Then Chapman. You got a player. I, I I don't think people totally understand. You've got a player that can play center field, can play right field, can play first base in a game that is all about versatility and he hits bombs 47 last year it's not for I mean he's the MVP at what 25 years old 24 let's, 24. Not, let's not shortchange him here uh <laughs> the, the the round out the top 10 Walker Bueller 8 Shohei Otani 9 uh, both positions not just one or the other and Trevor where's Matt Olson? where's Matt Chapman where's Marcus Simeon Chapman was 7th he was right behind Bellinger so in the second round, uh, they have Simeon oh, going. Speak, speaking of a tall guy, Matt Olson's a tall guy who hits bombs. Yes, he does. He has a nice swing, too, a quick swing. Um, Marcus Simeon, 15th. Matt Olson, 16th. 
So they're right after Verlander. See, the, you know what bothers me? One of the many things that bothers me uh, about this season, this was the season that Matt Olson was going to be big, right? You're talking maybe 50 home runs. I thought he was going to – I just – I just thought this was this was going to be the year. I mean, you should know who he is. You know, when you're winning gold gloves, people should know who you are and you're hitting bombs. But I thought this was the year that people would go, oh, wow. You know, 50 jacks, 130 plus RBIs and win the gold glove. So I I, I, I thought this was the big year for Matt Olson, the, the, the season where everybody around baseball, you know, he's starting at first base in the all-star game. You know, I think you know how bullish I am on Matt Olson. I think he's, I think he's incredible. I just what he does at first base, and people try, people try and throw first base defense under the bus. Man, the way he picks it and saves the infielders, and his wingspan that allows Simeon and Chapman, hey, just get it close to me, and I'm going to catch it, so they can take chances and know they're not going to get an error because he's going to pick it. He's going to save you. That's my two cents on Matt Olson. No, I'm with. I we've talked. We both are big Matt Olson fans. So the third round, first pick. Do you want to know who they took? Uh, Andrew Ramon, Baggerly. Ramon Laureano. No, but it is an A, and Andrew Baggerly took him. Now Baggerly has a controversial pick at the end of the draft that I'm going to address with you quickly after this. He took Hayes, He took Jesus Lazardo with the first pick in the third round over players yeah. like Joey Gallo, Clayton Kershaw, Tommy Pham, your guy Manny Machado. Carlos Correa, Justin Turner, and then I'm not, I'm not drafting Manny Machado. He's not going to play hard. Yeah, <laughs> not drafting him. So this draft was like the top forty player. They did forty players. Number thirty-five yeah, was pick of the draft. Thirty-five was Ramon Laureano. Forty. Buster Posey by Andrew Bagley. Why? Because if you want to win a if you want to win a World Series, you're taking Buster Posey. And I went back and looked. He got taken over players like Mark Hanna, uh, Starling Marte, David Peralta. There's guys what a, out of those. Out of, what a giant. He's a giant's honk. I, I, me? I texted one of my friends. I said, did you see uh, Bagley's last pick in the draft? Being a giant's homer, he took Buster Posey over a lot of good players that, that could have been uh, in there. But I, I get it. I mean, he's won the World Series. But, I mean, come on, right. over Mark Hanna. Right. You, and, know what? you know what? I'm just going to bring this up because <laughs> it drives me nuts. And I'm going to go to his numbers, Mr. World Series. Let's let's go look at what Buster did in the postseason. Postseason batting for his career, 248 with a 649 OPS. Let's see. In the World Series that they won against the Royals, do you know what his batting average was? No, because the only player I know in that series was uh, Madison Bumgarner. One fifty-four. He hit a buck fifty-four. His OPS in the World Series and went seven games was three ninety-five. He was essentially irrelevant. Look at these series. So in the, the, in two thousand ten, all right, he had a good series against uh, Atlanta, hitting three seventy-five. But against the Phillies, he hit two seventeen. World Series, he hit three hundred. Okay. Next world, just next playoffs, 2012. He hit 211 against Cincinnati. He hit a buck 54 against St. Louis, and he hit 267 against Detroit. I mean, come on. 
This no. guy's not a monster in the postseason. No, in Bagley's defense, he does say he's taking him for his defense and what he does behind the plate. If I'm looking for a guy that's good behind the plate, I'll take Austin Hedges, who led all of Major League Baseball in pitch framing and, you know, runs preventing, you know, all that, you know, all the defensive metrics for catcher. I'll take Austin Hedges of the of the Padres over Buster Posey. Now, Hedges can't hit, but he can hit home runs. Batting average doesn't matter because if you hit a home runs and you're framing, I'll take you over Buster Posey, who's his career is kind of on the back nine right now. So oh. I, I, I'm being gentle. Don't, don't don't tell Giant fans that, but he's like on 16 or 17. If you're if you're looking at his numbers, I mean, like it's almost criminal that they have him still batting third. You can't have a 688 OPS and bat third in Major League Baseball. You can't drive in. Wait for it, 38 runs. He only had 38 RBIs. Well, I mean, and you're hitting him third. Would you rather have him bat third or Brandon Belt? Because I think this is year for Brandon Belt. After 10 years in the league, I think this is finally the year he's going to break out. Oh, you think this is finally <laughs> this is finally the year? Yeah. I, I actually I would take Baby Yaz over both of them. Baby Yaz was a nice player for them last year. Now I'm not saying he's going to hit 30 home runs this year, but I, I like the way he played. If you're looking from a Giants perspective, something going into the future because can't take Joey Bard or Elliot Ramos as guys because they haven't debuted yet, but. I get Bagley's case with defensively, but, I mean, the passover guys like Marte and David Peralta, Frankie Montas, Mark Canna, uh, Baby Yaz, I just – I don't I don't get – Austin Hedges doesn't sit well with me, but that's why I don't get his picked war, this. His war in 2019, 0.9. He's barely above replacement level. Steven- OPS plus – He's 84. You want to be over 100. He's 84. How many bats did he have last year? Because I'm pulling something up quickly before we do Jim Callis. 405. So Stephen Vogt last year had 255 at-bats for the Giants. He had a 1.2 war. He hit 263, an OPS plus of 111. He had 10 home runs, drove in 40. He played – and how many bats did he have again? Two how many? 400 what? 405. So he had hundred about 150 more bats than Stephen Vogt, and Vogt put up better numbers and less at-bats. And Vogt's older. Needed Vogt's older. Earlier today, we got a chance to talk a little draft with Jim Callis from MLB.com. He's going to be on the coverage for MLB Network when we have the draft in nine days. Here's my conversation with the draft guru. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it, and the draft is going to be here before you know it. Yeah, just nine days away, and it's unfortunate. I mean, <laughs> I love the draft anyway, but this year, you know, it's it's crazy. It's like kind of like the only real news happening right now. So it's uh, I think there's more of a spotlight on the draft, and uh, it'll be a pleasant diversion from the coronavirus, and hopefully we'll have news about a season coming, but uh, – yeah, really looking forward to June 10th and 11th right now. Yeah, I I, I got a couple questions because we know it's only going to be five rounds. And I, I think from the high school perspective, you have a good idea who you thought would be first-round picks, second-round picks. But there's a lot of guys we all remember as high school baseball players as from your junior year to your senior year, you get bigger, you get stronger, you get better. But these kids – really didn't have a senior year 
How do you see looking at this class that that you're, you're going to be drafting these guys who basically weren't able to play? Yeah, I still think a number of the best high school players will get drafted in a five-round draft and get paid. Um, you know, the most important part, the most important time to scout the high school guys is really the previous summer when they're on the showcase circuit and it's the best versus the best as opposed to, you know, maybe not playing anywhere near the same level of competition depending on where you are in the spring. So I, I, I still think the best guys will get paid. I mean, the, the, the guys who get hurt, are, are your, your classic, like you're talking about, projectable high school pitcher who maybe was 6'3", 180 last year, and you're hoping to see if he gets stronger and throws harder. And a lot of those guys just didn't get the chance to to really even take the mound for a game. And then the other guys are the guys who, you know, not, ne- not necessarily just projectable pitchers, just guys get better. Um, you know, last year there was an outfielder from Texas who wasn't really on radars at all coming in the year named Hudson Head. He wanted to get $3 million in the third round. Like, like that's just not going to happen this year, you know, where, where a guy, you know, pops up in April or May because there was no April or May, unfortunately. I mean, you know, I think back, I mean, this was 10 years ago, but I mean, Noah Syndergaard, you know, really made his run into the supplemental first round in, in the Texas state playoffs in late April and early May. Uh, you know, and again, I mean, that stuff just isn't happening. So, uh, you know, obviously extremely, extremely unusual times that, that nobody anticipated. Yeah, I got a feeling that there's going to be a lot of high school guys because I know for myself as a pitcher and a hitter, you know, before I got to college, I definitely got bigger and stronger from my junior year to my senior year. I got a feeling a lot of people are going to end up going to junior college. I, I think there's going to be um, a huge influx. In, yes in, and in, no. In, I mean, I, like I, I still think most of the best players, are st- high school players, are still going to get paid. And then you're going to have, like – guys who were just unsignable for whatever reason, you know, like Drew Bowser, you know, out there, you know, in, in California who wants to go to Stanford. Like Drew Bowser probably wasn't going to sign coronavirus, no coronavirus. He'll go to Stanford. I mean, I think the guys who want to go into junior college are the maybe like, you know, third tier high school prospects who were, you know, not those top, top guys who are going to go to four-year colleges who, because of the situation now where you might have a lot of college juniors going back to school, the, you know, they're going to run out of scholarship money for the freshmen. So I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of top high school players go to junior college, but I do think overall you will see kind of that, that third tier and below uh, uh, high school player uh, wind up going to junior college. Yeah, that's the other crazy element is, like, let's say you're a really good college junior, and, hey, to get drafted in the seventh round or the top, you know, in the top ten rounds or top 15 it, it is a really big deal for your career. but what what is the deal after the fifth round? You can only sign for like twenty seven or thirty. That what what, what is no, the no, not even that twenty thousand dollars is it? Wow. And you know it stinks because you know last year there were three hundred and ninety five players who got six figure bonuses after the fifth round, and, and and most of those guys were college juniors. And I mean these aren't guys going out and buying Lamborghinis and gold medallions and flashy suits. I mean when you sign for one hundred twenty five thousand or, or thereabouts. You're paying off your college loans because most of the college players aren't on full scholarship, um, but anywhere close to it. And, you know, we all know minor leaguers get paid next to nothing. Um, and you're using that money to try to eat healthy and, and, and train. And, 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 you know, that, that money is really vital for, you know, for your career. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. I mean, it's incredibly short-sighted by MLB to do that. Like maybe you could have limited the number of guys you signed if you want to do that, but it's incredibly short-sighted 
because those players that you are able to sign for 20000 and I think some of them will, you know, I don't know how many, but some of the college juniors will sign for $20,000, you're making it very difficult for them to, to make the most out of their careers because they're, they're not going to be able to afford to eat well or train well. It, it's incredibly short-sighted. Yeah, I guess if I'm a guy that doesn't like school and I just want to get my career going, but I think if if I'm a player and I'm a junior and I don't go in the top five, but I'm no, I know I'm a good player. I, I why wouldn't you go back for your senior year well, before you graduate and then you have a regular draft next year? Well, well, see, you don't have a regular draft next year. Here's the thing: they've already cut the draft to 20 rounds, and there's nothing to say they can't cut it further. I mean, they're cutting 42 minor league teams. There's going to be fewer teams, which means fewer jobs. And just the math of it is: let's just assume that everybody goes back. That everybody says, "I'm not signing for 20," and you and you sign nobody. Well, if all the players who are supposed to go in round six through 20 this year go back to school. And you have all the players in round six through 20 next year who are going to get drafted in those rounds if we never had this coronavirus. Only half those guys can get drafted in a 20-round draft. And fewer than that if, if the draft gets reduced further from 20 rounds. And then and the problem is if you're in this year's group, you go back to school, yeah, you, you'll still count as a junior eligibility-wise, but you'll be 22 years old. And unless you tear it up, the teams are going to want the 21-year-old, not the 20. The 22-year-old college player, that's not a hot commodity unless you just really, really tear it up. You know, and then, I mean, if we want to, I don't want to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, but, like, what if the coronavirus comes back in the fall or we, we can't have full college football stadiums? We might not have college baseball as we're used to knowing it. You know, like, there may, there may not be as many schools playing college baseball next spring. And, and so, like, it's not even certain you're going to go back to your normal reality of, of college baseball. So, uh, to me, I mean, it, 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 this system stinks for those guys. But if you went to college and your primary goal when you went to college was you wanted to have a professional baseball career, then I think you've got to think long and hard about signing for 20. Now, I, I don't think, you know, I, I give you that number, 395 guys who got six-figure bonuses. I don't think all those guys are going to sign for 20. Some of them will, but you're going to have a lot of guys who do go back, and then, you know, just because of the math involved, where you're already going to have next year's draft crop as, as part of that draft and fewer minor league jobs and all that, you're going to have guys who go back thinking, okay, I'm going to be drafted next year. Well, one, a lot of those guys aren't going to get drafted in the first place, and two, those who do, it's not like you have the same leverage. You're going to be 22 years old and 23-year-old college seniors, which is what you'd have at that point if you went back in 2022, have zero leverage. And you'll just have teams telling 22-year-old, you know, returning juniors next year, if you want to sign, you know, we'll give you 20000 And they're not going to get paid next year either. So it's just it's a really unfortunate situation. Oh, my God, Jim. It's a mess. Uh, Mr. Doom and Gloom. I know. I know. Oh, my. Um. Speaking of the draft, you know, year to year can change. Is it a better high school draft? Is it a better college draft? I mean, college basically didn't play that many games. High school did. I mean, where's the majority of the talent? What do you, what do you, is this a college draft or a high school draft? Yeah, it's, 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 it's cyclical. And it's funny because last year, if we had this conversation, I would have told you worst group of college pitchers I'd seen who, who were first round worthy in, in like 30 years. I've been covering this stuff for 30 years. And last year's college pitching crop was considered maybe the worst of my entire tenure. And this year, it's really, really strong. There, there, there's a ton of college pitching in this draft. The college hitters are pretty good. I, I think the high school class is solid as well. Not as strong as the college crop, but it's, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll probably look back. Well, it's only going to be five rounds, so maybe not. Like, if we had our normal 40 rounds or even a 20-round draft this year, I think we'd look back and this would be, you know, probably one of the, you know, top two or maybe three drafts 
of the entire decade, which is just getting started. I mean, as it is, you know, we'll only have five rounds, but, but there's, it's, it's, it's you know, it, I know every team I've talked to wishes they had more than, than five rounds, but, you know, there's going to be pretty good talent for those five rounds, I guess, is the silver lining. Is is another silver lining is the fact that from a I mean not for hitters and position players but for pitchers you're drafting guys less wear and tear on the arm because they didn't pitch this year. Yeah, although it's funny because the flip side of it is there's so many college pitchers and it was a good college pitching year even before the coronavirus shut things down, but because the college season lasted only four weeks. You have so many guys who came out of uh, of the you know shoot very fresh, and they were at their best at the you know, at the best at the beginning of the season. And typically, what happens over the 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 sixteen plus college season, you know, guys will you know lose a little velocity toward the end. But you have all these guys who came out throwing great, you know, the first four weeks of the season, and now you have to guess. Okay, for some of these guys who didn't do that before, is this a new level, or is he simply fresh and he would have tailed off? you know, as we got into May and June. So it makes it a little difficult. But, yeah, I mean, from a, a mileage standpoint, you don't have to worry about guys with high pitch counts or guys with high inning counts because, you know, not very many – I mean, probably the most innings anybody pitched college – I don't even know if anybody – I doubt anybody even pitched 30 innings in college this spring. Unbelievable. And then, of course, we watched the NFL draft, and for the most part, you know, a Zoom NFL draft was pretty entertaining. How do they plan to do the baseball draft? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, well, the, the sad part is it was going to be kind of a, a big deal this year. They were going to move the draft to Omaha, and you would have had the players in the College World Series, part of the draft show the first night with the first round. I think because it was later in the season, you know, other than the eight teams in Omaha, every, all the other college players would have been done. Most of your state playoffs would have been done. I think they also would have been able to entice more players to come uh, attend the draft, even who weren't in the College World Series. It's always tricky every year because most of the college players are, are in the middle of the NCAA playoffs, and a lot of the high school players have either the high school playoffs going on or graduation going on, and it, it would have been this big thing, and we won't have that. But I do think you'll see hear, see and hear from more players than ever before because the plan is on day one, it'll, it'll just be the first 37 picks, the first round, some of the first round. They're trying to get cameras, I think, to a couple dozen of the players who they think are going to go that high. So I, I think you'll have more player uh, you know, participation in the draft, even though it'll be not everybody together in, in the same place. And, and day two will be more bells and whistles than usually. Uh, usually day two is, is John Tomeo and, and myself and Scott Braun one minute between picks and just firing off whatever we know about these guys one after another nonstop. And then this year it's going to be more of a TV production. Um, we're going to have some of the guys, you know, Greg Amsinger, Harold Reynolds, who are, who are part of the day one coverage, Dan O'Dowd, and it's going to be two minutes between picks. So I, I, day two will look more like day one than three guys just, you know, spewing a bunch of facts as quick as we can before the next pick comes out. So um, I, I think it'll be, you know, it'll be better than the typical broadcast, but unfortunately not quite as cool as it would have been had we been in Omaha. Well, you know, my audience, diehard baseball fans, will be watching no matter what you guys do on MLB Network. Uh, but, you know, it's so funny how the world has changed. We had Rick Monday on, and yep. Rick Monday's talking about – before a game, he was out in right field stretching, and the writers come running out going, Rick, you're the first pick ever of the draft. So he found out as he was stretching down the right field line there at the College World Series. 
which they won. And the A's not only got Rick Monday, but they got um, Sal Bando off that same championship team with the Sun Devils Arizona State, and they also got Gene Tennis. So it was uh, it was quite the draft for the A's in year one. It, did did you do that article about best drafts for every single team? Yeah, well, I did part of that article, and I also did the best years. But yeah, it's I. I, I love draft history probably about as much as anybody, and I can I can I mean again not that we that the coronavirus is what any of us wanted, but we've done a few more draft history stories than usual, and at least that part of this has, has been enjoyable for me. Yeah, I remember when I played down at Arizona State back when they had the uh, their old stadium. Now they play at Phoenix Muni, which was the A's complex, right? And I remember you walk up there and you're like. Oh my! All the big league guys, you know, Barry Bonds, Sal Bando, Mike Devera. It's amazing the amount of big leaguers that have come out of Arizona State. Yeah, I mean, if you look, I mean, obviously Southern Cal has won more national championships than anybody. You know, things have broken a little differently because Arizona State lost in a number of championship games. I mean, there's an alternate universe in which Arizona State would be regarded as the most successful college baseball program ever. And as it is, I mean, I think they're right there when you factor championships and pro talent. You know they're probably right there behind USC, maybe maybe Arizona State and Texas. But yeah, no, you're. I mean, with with first Bobby Winkles and then Jim Brock. I mean, it was. I mean, virtually every year that that was a team that was that had a chance to win the national title. Yeah, we'll end on this, and and, and you'll like this because uh, I used to do TV for the Raiders, and I did the Jack Del Rio show. Yep. And talking to Jack about man, you played with Mark McGuire. You you were catching Randy Johnson, and he was like Randy Johnson. Nobody knew where the ball was going. He didn't know. I didn't know. The hitter didn't know. It, it, like, can you imagine how scary it would be to step up to the plate, Randy Johnson at USC? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he was. I mean, it took him a while, even in the big leagues, to kind of get get polished up. But yeah, he. I want to say Randy's ERA for at USC was over over five, and and I also believe. I believe the backup catcher behind Jack Del Rio was Damon Oppenheimer, who's now the scouting director for the Yankees. But that was that was right toward the end of uh, Rod Dado's uh, reign as, as probably the greatest college coach ever, and they just packed the you know, packed the players in year after year after year. Well, you got me excited about the draft. You know we're going to be watching you guys. Have a lot of fun with it. I know it's going to be unique, but uh, this A's fan base will be watching, and we always appreciate when you come on the program. Oh, hey, no problem. I hope everybody enjoys the draft, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll get back and have some games hopefully pretty soon. The future of the A's and 29 other teams in nine days. Can you get the right guy? Can you help your future? Can you draft another Matt Chapman, another Matt Olson? You know, can you get another power arm? I mean, this is the lifeblood of an organization. How well do you draft? We talk about it all the time. We're ranking, we're ranking farm systems. And the teams that have bad farm systems, uh, that leads to bad major league teams. Scott Miller from Bleach Report is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. I was looking back at uh, – this. it's a buying or selling question for later. But I was looking back at some of the worst over uh, worst number one overall picks in the draft – and uh, I think I know who the, who I think I know who the worst number one overall pick is going to be, and we'll get to that in I don't know thirty minutes or so, maybe less. But uh, all right, it's, yeah, we'll it's a re, it's a recency guy. I'll tell recency bias. Okay, coming up next, our buddy Scott Miller down in San Diego does Sirius XM and also national baseball columnist 
for Bleach Report next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Are we calling him or is he calling us? Uh, Scott's going to call into us today. Oh, nice. I've been giving everyone the chance to either call in or do the video option, and everyone has literally been choosing to do the the uh, call-in option, which is fine. I get it. But uh, Jim Callis actually wanted to do to do video, but I was like, ah, we'll, we'll just do it over the phone. That's fine. He's like, good. I don't have to worry about shaving then. <laughs> I haven't shaved in so long. Yeah, I know. It's been a – I haven't shaved since February uh, – like the end of February. I'm so. enjoying my locks. Uh, I've I've been I've been slicking my hair back now because it's starting to get long again. I think I'm just gonna let it go for a, wh- a little while until the uh, we can start getting haircuts. But we do have good news in Santa Clara County. I don't know if you saw this or not, but according to uh, Santa Clara County, breaking this is from uh, NBC Bay Area. Santa, starting Friday, Santa Clara County will reopen in-store retail or outdoor dining, all manufacturing, small service businesses, child care, and summer programs, as well as religious cultural and civil activities. So starting Friday, we're going to see some stuff opening down in the South Bay where we're at. So that's good news in getting the, everything restarted here. Well, yeah, that is good news. We need some good news because there's not a whole lot of good news out there. And that's why we're, we're what we are trying to do is to basically give you some relief. And Scott is with us from San Diego. Scott, it's always great to have you here on A's Cast Live. Chris, nice to be with you. I know I know who I'm with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope everything's uh, okay down there down south. It is. Uh, these are just unbelievable times. I will say that. Um, I'm home. I'm watching right now. CNN's on. And as if we don't have enough to worry about with the pan- pandemic, we've got uh, military the White House, uh, not storming, but being trucked in and horses on the street near the White House and all kinds of that stuff. So I, I, I tell you, it's uh, it's it's just when you think things can't get any worse, it does in this country. You know, I think about uh, the negotiations going on right now. And of course, you've been around so many of these negotiations. I've never seen the talks happen so fast where, you know, usually everybody's trying to wait each other out, use leverage. But, you know, the players last night sending an offer to the owners and the owners, I guess, responding as of today. You can tell that there's some time. There's some urgency with time right now between the owners and the players union. Yeah, there is. I mean, really, they're going to have to figure something out in the next week to two weeks maybe week to 10 days if they're going to, uh, you know, if we're going to have some semblance of a season. And I think we will. I, it doesn't look good right now. Uh, just from the standpoint of, um, you know, the rhetoric and what we know so far, but I, I think when we get push comes to shove, it's going to end up, there's going to end up being an agreement. I, I, I really think because, you know, economically, I think the players and owners both are going to understand that, you know, even a little bit of money, you know, is better than nothing this year. Well, Nick Swisher said it great last Friday. He goes, if you've got NASCAR, if you've got golf, if you've got NBA and NHL all playing and you're not, that's going to be like one of the worst looks of all time. 
Well, it is. And, and so there are two different points to make here. One is that's right. I mean, and baseball has a chance to be the first sport to come back in, in July ahead of everybody else. Uh, do what baseball's done for more than 100 years. Uh, help bring the, you know, help help the country in a time of crisis. Give the citizens a chance for something that's a nice diversion. Uh, Bud Zealand used to talk about the social responsibility that comes along with the sport. That That's this right now. The second point to be made is if they blow this big chance to do that, um, if they can't come to an agreement and there is no baseball this year, from the end of the World Series last year, last October, when the Nationals won that memorable game seven in D.C., from the, the end of the World Series to opening day next April, assuming we have that, baseball will have been off the grid for about 17 months. Now, in a time when baseball is fighting for its share of real estate, especially against you know the NFL, the NBA, everything else, at a time when baseball acknowledges it needs to connect with the younger fans. If you can't come to an agreement this year and you're, you're quiet, you're dark for 17 months, that this younger generation that's already, you know, not baseball rabid the way younger generations were 50, 60, 70 years ago, they're going to go find something else to do. No doubt. And I, I, I don't blame them. But if you do come back and come back with some flair and maybe a few changes to make the game more interesting to younger people, you could attract them because, Scott, this is the only sport that you can play every day. And right now we're starving for content. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, you can you, you can win fans. You, you, you have a captive audience, so to speak, at least in the sports landscape. You would have a captive audience. Uh, and you can have fans, you know, the young generation, everybody's watching baseball. There's nothing else to watch. And, you know, you could hook however many new fans you can hook. And not only that, but you can also, uh, you know, you, you can expand the sport. You can take advantage of it being the only sport in the spotlight. You have the entire sports spotlight to yourself. And it's an opportunity that should not be missed. If there was one thing, your commissioner for the day, if there's one thing that you could change to help this game attract younger people, what would you do? You know, I would, I figure out a way to, to in, in increase the pace of it. And, and I, that's, I know even commissioner Manford has tried and failed. Um, you know, I, I, I Let's let's. I'll tell you. I I try to increase the pace, um, it, but I'll give you one thing I would do that would help with that. I would wipe instant replay clean off the face of the baseball earth. I would I would. Well, let me rephrase that. I would eliminate ninety eight percent of instant replay. What I would do is there's already an instant replay you know the room in New York, right? So at, at all the ballparks, whenever there's an appeal. The umpires put on the cans over their ears and they, and they go consult with New York and there's somebody in New York watching. So what, what I would do is eliminate instant replay from the ballpark and, and have somebody in New York watching every game. And if there's an egregious 
egregiously missed call, you know, be in contact with somebody at the ball in Oakland, for example, if there's a, if there's a horribly missed call in Oakland, that's obvious, then have the person in New York buzz a fifth umpire or whatever in, in Oakland and, and just overturn it right then and there. Don't delay, you know, for 30 seconds or two minutes while we all wait to see what New York has to say. Um, I, I do think that's one huge area. I mean, because the point of this to replay from the very beginning was to get the calls right, right? And, 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 but more than that, get the, the badly missed calls right. And the problem is, I mean, when you get to the point now, you know how the, one of the tactics is to hold the tag now an extra few seconds because when a runner slides into second and then comes up, sometimes his momentum takes him off the bag just by a, a hair. And now, you know, you hold the tag and then you go to the replay and say, oh, wait a minute, it's like a game of gotcha. That's not the spirit of instant replay. And I think um, that's one area, one thing I would do to, you know, that I think really would help the pace of the game and, and, and turn the game away from being a video game. You know, during these times, we've, we've kind of forgotten, and we had Glenn Kuyper on, our TV guy, uh, yep. and how excited we were going into the season for the A's. I mean, the A's are loaded. They got power arms. They got legitly six yep. starters. They've got all kinds of firepower on offense. They're a great defensive club. It's like, it's like we have forgotten, but this A's team, whether we're playing 114 or 60, whatever, this is one of the best teams in baseball. Oh, no question. You're right. I mean, and, and healthy again, too, right? I mean, you're getting like, like uh, uh, you know, J.J. Puck back uh, uh, or, it, it, you know, you're, it, it, and, and last year, you know, Oakland was really hampered at the beginning of the year because, you know, they had, you know, Hint, Puck and Cotton. Those guys all were hurt and they, they, their rotation was decimated at the very beginning. And now, yeah, all this year later, you got all that firepower. You got you got some really good talent and you got help. What do you think when the players say 114 games and then the owners come back with 60? Obviously, yeah. the middle is around eight. Do you think when it's all said and done, we'll be somewhere around 80 games? I do. I don't see how. I don't see how you get, um, uh, you know, 114 games. I mean, you know, I thought the players' proposal yesterday where, hey, we'll start the season June 30th, that's awfully aggressive, I think. I mean, today's June 1st. I mean, if, if you're going to start season June 30th and get 114 games in, play through the end of October and have postseason November, well, a couple of problems here. One, okay, the June 30th opening day, that means three weeks of spring training uh, is what most everybody believes should happen for pitchers to get ready. So, you know, you back things up from June 30th to the 23rd, 15th, basically June 8th, you're going to start spring training, which is a week from today. So that means, okay, there has to be uber speed negotiations in the next three or four days and an agreement because players need notice before they show up at spring training. I mean, a lot of them have gravitated back to their home cities, but not all have. And, you know, there's still guys in the Dominican and places like that. And, um, you know, so that that's the first issue. I don't think June 30th, that proposal, I don't think is going to fly. And the second thing is, um, you know, the owners do not want to play in the postseason all of November and play to the end of, of November for a couple of reasons. The main reason is that the television, the 
part of what would salvage a little bit of the season financially for the owners, and then, by the way, allow them to pay the players, part of what that is is the TV money. And the TV money is significantly backloaded to the postseason. That's where most of the TV money comes. So the owners are listening to the health experts, and they're very nervous that about the second wave of the coronavirus that's predicted to come through this fall or winter. They don't want to play in November. They're worried that's, you know, that's tempting fate too much, and, and the postseason would get canceled. So that's number one. Number two, far second to that, you know, they know November football is going to be playing and you're going to end up having a case of, you know, the, the calendar is going to be too stressed. They're, they're going to have to work everything around all the NFL games, you know, because they know everybody will be watching the NFL games. Um, so I just I don't think 114 games works for those reasons. You know, last time we saw you was in San Diego for the winter meetings and we were all talking about the Houston Astros. We were talking about how the crowds, you know, they're going to go through Anaheim. They're going to go through Oakland, everybody, the vitriol that's going to be, they're not going to have to deal with that now. So this, this pandemic, it looks like we'll help the Houston Astros. Oh, no question. Yeah. Yeah, it will. Uh, because you're right, all of a sudden they're going to be able to play in some peace and quiet. Now, you know, the one, the one thing about no fans in the stands, you know, the, the, in Texas, they're talking about, well, hey, we think we're going to be able to have some fans, uh, at least if not in the beginning, but pretty soon after a proposed season would start. Um, you know, so that's, it'll be interesting to see how each state handles things, but but even if they bring a few fans to games in Texas, well, they're not going to be booing the Astros because, you know, maybe in Arlington they would a little bit, but probably not. And certainly they're not in Houston. So, yeah, Houston's going to get a pass on this one. Uh, uh, you know, fans are going to have to wait. Fans that are angry with the Astros for cheating, I think, are going to have to uh, hold on to that anger and uh, bring it back in 2021. But it, I don't think this year's Astros are going to feel the wrath. You know, the great thing about what we're doing is we're entertaining people during the these really, really tough times with the pandemic and now the protests and, and the rioting. And we need some positive energy. And that's what we're trying to do and entertain people with some fresh content. And uh, having you on is always an honor. We truly appreciate it. Well, Chris, I appreciate that. And yeah, we're all kind of in that same position. I mean, I, I think I can't be alone that, you know, I've been walking through a lot of days almost numb in the middle of this pandemic, you know, where we're all sheltering at home and your life's turned upside down. I don't say that in terms of feeling sorry for myself. I'm very, very blessed. I like where I live. At least I've got a nice home, a nice yard that it's pleasant. If I have to be at home, it's pleasant. But just the fact that there's no baseball, there's no outlet for anything, and you're worried about your relatives. And then with all the rioting over the country start, I mean, the, the, the last few days, I mean, I'm just kind of walking around numb in a state of shock. So I get what you're saying about all of us are in this boat together. And this country right now has got some significant issues. And I think it'd be great if baseball could come back because Lord knows, you know, people need diversions and games more than ever. I know there's very, very important things out there going on right now. And, you know, you pray for the country and you pray for the health and safety of everybody and everybody that's out protesting. Um, but, yeah, we, we it, you know, 
any even a two minute respite to talk baseball, I think is good for everybody. Oh, but before you go, I wanted to promote your article on Esteban Loaiza's oh. fascinating. I mean, the guy had everything. It's got it's a crazy story. Yeah, it is no question. I, you know, when I, I I've been working on that off and on for about a year, and when I first started it, my the thought was to go visit him in prison. And I wanted to hear, like, it, it, it all started around a very basic question, right? Of myself, but your own, my own journalistic curiosity. I mean, he started the All-Star Game for the American League in 2003. And I, I just, when I heard he was arrested, it's like, how do you go from an All-Star Game starter to being arrested running 44 pounds of cocaine over the border, down in Mexico, Mexican-American border? And I thought, well, if there's any way I can get to prison and talk to him, I'd love to hear his story and, you know, how that happened. How does a guy's life spiral downward that bad? Well, he, he didn't want to talk and that's fine, but I talked to people around him and baseball people. And yeah, there's so much craziness in that story. It took so many different twists and turns that I didn't expect. Yeah. Go to Bleacher Report. It's a fantastic read. Be safe and we'll talk soon. All right, Chris, you too, my friend. Thank you. The great Scott Miller right here on A's Cast Live. I mean, seriously. You start the All-Star game. You're married to this international music sensation. You got everything a man would want. And you're running cocaine? It was like 44 pounds, which is equivalent to, I think, $500,000. And they, Scott has How a do pic- you know that? How do you know that? It was in the article. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's uh, I, I, to quote one of my favorite movies, uh, Super Troopers. One of the best lines in there is, "Where'd you learn that, Cheech? Drug school." <laughs> uh, it, it's in the article, and there's a picture of Esteban Loaiza, and he just how unhealthy he looks now, and how much weight he's lost, and he was working at like a Cinnabon or some like some like ba- uh, like a pastry place, of, you know, when he was out on a work furlough from the prison or whatever. It, it's just crazy to think that he's a guy that you know. He started his career with the Pirates. Like, I remember him when he pitched for the Pirates. And then he goes and plays for the White Sox and the Blue Jays. He's an A for a little bit. He gets in trouble with the A's. Well, he had, like, a drunk driving or something. with yeah, speeding. DUI, yeah. DUI, That happens. And then he bounces around. And it's just crazy to think that. I mean, I remember for a while he was pretty He was pretty good. I wouldn't say he was dominant, but he was good during the 2000s. And, and then you look at him. He was at FanFest, like, for the White Sox, I think, in 2018. Scott mentions in the article. And – just how unhealthy and uninterested he looked. He didn't look the same as he as he was before, as charismatic and everything. So it's a great story on the rise and fall of Esteban Loaiza. People want to check it out on Bleacher Report. Are you ready? Are you ready for buying or selling? Uh, yeah, sorry. I was paying attention to what's uh, going on. Scott mentioned TV, so I put it on while we were talking to him and had it on mute. It's very uh, fascinating. It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so people want a baseball fix, as always. Coming up next on A's Cast will be the A's 64th win on August 3rd of 2019 versus the St. Louis Cardinals. They won the game 8-3. Now, Mike Fires got his 11th win of the season in this game, going five and two-thirds innings along one run. Chad Pinder hit his 11th homer of the season, a three-run blast off Tyler Webb in the seventh. So up next, the A's 64th win from August 3rd of 2019 versus the Cardinals. 
Now, today's a special day in baseball history. There's a lot of good stuff that happened. There's two we're going to get to here, especially for the New York Mets. On this date in 2012, something happened for the first time ever or in 8,020 games. Johan Santana threw a 134-pitch no-hitter versus the aforementioned St. Louis Cardinals. Santana struck out eight while walking five in the game. Santana made 10 more starts that season, but he had surgery in 2011 on his shoulder, and he missed the entire year. So from 2010 to 2012, he didn't really pitch. He pitched like the end of 2010. He missed all of 2011, came back in 2012 with the Mets. Santana never pitched again after 2012 after making those 10 more starts. Buying or selling the no-hitter ended Johan Santana's career. Selling. Soft. You don't think you don't think the the, the hundred and thirty four pitches ruined his career? No. All right. Well, that's what some people think. I mean, good on the Mets. They got their no hitter. I think what the only team in baseball now without a no hitter is Bob Townsend, San Diego Padres, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah, everybody else is throwing one. Uh, but it seems like the, it seems like the A's throw one every year now. Uh, I'm waiting to see if we have one. If we if when the season starts, who uh, throws one for the A's this year? Now, thirteen years ago, minor league. By the ba- way. I don't know this. Who is the Colorado Rocky that threw a no-hitter? Abado Jimenez. He threw it against the Braves. He didn't do that as the he didn't do that when he was with the tribe? No, he did it with the Rockies. Was it okay. 20, 2010, I think he did it. If there was anybody that wouldn't have one, uh it would be it would be the uh it, it would It'd be the Rockies to go along with the Padres. Yeah, it happened in 2010, I want to say, against the Braves, because that was the year he was really good. I think he won close to 20 games. He had a really good ERA. The only year he was ever any good, like like actually like serviceable, because he struggled because obviously pitching at cores, you know, most pitchers struggle there. So 13 years ago, minor league baseball was changed forever, thanks to Mississippi Braves manager Philip Wellman. After being ejected from the game against the Chattanooga Lookouts, the Mississippi Braves manager Phil Wellman kicks dirt on home plate and then proceeds to draw the umpire strike zone in the soil before tossing third base into the outfield. Well, he wasn't done. The minor league skipper continues his tirade when he crawls to the mound, throws the rosin bag like a hand grenade at the umpire, and then carries second base with him as he exits AT&T Field. Now, the Braves suspended Wellman for three games in 2007 for the tirade. Other notable manager ejections I could think of were Bobby Valentine coming back with a disguise on after being thrown out. Uh, pretty good. much pretty much any Lou Pinella uh, um, explosion, yeah. any Bobby Cox explosion, Billy Martin. And remember Lloyd McClendon still in first base when he was the manager of the Pirates? That will always be, before the Pirates got good, that was like the one memory people have always had of the Pirates. Buying or selling, Philip Wellman had the greatest ejection in baseball history. Totally buying. <laughs> That was so hilarious. I watched that multiple times. And when he throws the rosin bag like a grenade, and remember, he, he he picks up second base, and their clubhouse is in center field. So he just picks up second base and keeps walking. <laughs> That's great. So do you want to know what he does right now? This is according to Wikipedia, so it, hopefully it's true. Uh, he's currently the manager of the Armarillo Sod Poodles, the double-A affiliate of Bob Townsend, San Diego Padres. So, really? So it looks like uh, looks like he's still in the game, and he's with the beloved Padres of the everyone but the Chris Townsend household. So huh? he's still in the game. So that's uh, that's good to see. So we are now nine days away from the MLB draft. So I decided to look back at former number one overall picks. Let's discuss who the biggest bust of all time is. The first name that comes to mind for me is Stanford legend Mark Appel. 
Appel was drafted eighth overall in 2012 by my beloved Pirates, but he didn't sign. Then in 2013, he was one of three guys drafted number one overall by the Astros. He was the second guy. Correa went first. Brady Aiken went in the third year with the Astros. So during his career in the minors with the Astros and Phillies, he went 24 and 18 with a 5.06 ERA. He never reached the major leagues. Other notable number one overall picks that were a bust. This is more recency bias. You got Brian Bullington by the Pirates, Tim Beckham of the Rays, Matt Bush, who went to jail and he's now a reliever for the Rangers, uh, Luke Hochaver, who never made it with the Royals, Brady Aiken, who I mentioned, Matt Anderson, and the great Chris Benson, also of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Buying or selling Mark Appel. He won games. uh, He wasn't that good. His wife's quote about the Mets clubhouse is is what I'll always remember him for. Buying or selling. Brian Taylor. The he, Yankees. He wasn't number one overall. Oh, he was terrible. Well, you know, he never. He was like. Uh, he was like a Pele. Never reached the majors. I don't even think oh, he went bo- above double, uh, single or double A. I can't remember. It was one of them he didn't go above? But buying or selling a Pell is the biggest draft bust in Major League Baseball history. Uh, pretty bad. I mean, by the way, Chris Benson pitched nine years, and you're acting like it. Come on. What were what were his stats? Seventy and seventy-five. Okay, so he's under five hundred. With a 4.42 ERA. Okay, so it's... What was but it? let's be honest. Those pirate teams he was on, they were terrible. Uh, you're putting it politely. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they were they were beyond um, horrendous for a while. And he was there. I think he got drafted in 97. He was the future. You know how many guys I heard about was the future? I mean, I'm sure a lot of Ace fans have heard this too about players in the draft like Michael Choice and stuff that were the future Chris Carter uh, Chris Benson Chad Hermanson these Brian Bowlington John Van Benshout and these are guys that were the future of the Pirates none of those guys did anything the first draft pick they had to hit that was a hit was Andrew McCutcheon he was drafted in 06 and then hey, they Benson, cut- Benson made almost 40 million dollars he made most of what the Mets though I believe because now Pirates were paying him uh over three, over two, over fours. Last year, he made six million one hundred fifty G's. That I think I told you a story about what his his wife allegedly said about if he if she ever caught him uh, um, extramarital affairs with him with uh, someone else. She would uh, uh, enjoy uh, a romantic relationship with all of his teammates. With every member of the Mets clubhouse. Um, I don't know if Chris Benson ever uh, took her up on that. But I'll, that's what I'll always remember. Anytime people mention Chris Benson, I had to bring up his wife, Anna Benson. I believe she was a former playmate. Like, uh, I think, isn't Jeff Garcia's wife a former playmate as well? Uh, and both of them are not married anymore. Oh, well, there there you go. But, yeah, so that's uh, that's all I have for buying or selling. We'll save the rest. One of them is the the uh, best right-handed, uh, most highly touted A's right-handed pitching prospect in the last 20 years we'll get to on Wednesday. Oh, Todd, Todd Van Poppel. Cannot be on that list. For what, biggest draft bus? No, from a standpoint of 20 years. That was more than 20 years ago. Oh, I know. Well, that's, that was 90, 91, 92. I mean, I can go back to, well, yeah, I did 20. But, we, I mean, if we want to go back 30, you can look at some guys, too. Probably throw Tim Hudson in there because Huddy was coming out of college. But I did it more just the last 20 from 2000 to now couple interesting guys on there and the guy the article that mlb.com referenced as the most touted was a little surprising to me so we'll we'll save that for wednesday yeah and uh really because some fascinating stuff with callus about the draft 
You know, there used to be endless rounds of the draft. Then it was 70 rounds or 60 rounds. Five rounds and that's it. And after that, you can sign as a free agent for 20 grand. Draft's going to be different for a long time, at least the next two years, um, as we learn. So, you know, kudos to the to the guys that are going to make it. And, you know, I feel bad for the, the, the high school seniors and stuff who didn't really have a season this year and didn't get to showcase who really weren't, you know, big name guys or coming out of high school that we've seen or, you know, we heard about. So hopefully uh, going forward, we'll, we'll see change. And I'm with you. I think the junior colleges are going to have, see a little bit of an explosion of, uh, of talent coming in because of everything going, everything going on with lost seasons. Uh, we need baseball back. We will be back on Wednesday from one to four. Who are we working on? Uh, Scott Emerson to talk about his, uh, how he, Started Michael Jordan's career. Uh, Ray Fossey will already be here. Uh, we're efforting Doug Glanville because he's very good when he talks about baseball. And yes. I'm look I'm looking at potentially trying to get Rick Monday as well to talk about being the first ever draft pick. Ah, the great Rick Monday still has one of the best uh, heads of hair in the business. Yep, Dodgers broadcaster that, Rick Monday. That is a do right there. <laughs> yeah. Rick Monday hasn't lost his hair, boy. He's still got a full head of hair. All righty, that is going to do it for A's Cast Live. Enjoy a little A's baseball next right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.